The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. Um, okay, so... Uh, this is the Cumber Chronicles, and hopefully we're going to be all right for this one because I'm not going to start over again. Um, we're crossing our fingers, folks. Yeah, um, the OBS is saying something about the thing is encoded, and I haven't done anything. So hopefully it looks like streaming is doing all right, though. Regardless, uh, this is the Cumber Chronicles, um, and it's got a woman here. I am Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at CBCaps on uh, Twitter. Excuse me. You can find me at uh, CB Caps on Instagram. You can find me at Newsers Need on Twitter. Also, South Carolina with Columbia down the way. And sound effects you have heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn, one agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? And you can find this here. Podcast on the Coastal Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You could also find us on your podcast browser place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. Um, you can also find us uh, recording every Thursday night, 9 30 p.m. Uh, on the Click Nation's YouTube channel, that's youtube.com slash the Click Nation, and twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. Um, and I guess we will have an upcoming announcement, but we'll save that one for later because we will go into movie protocol at uh, some point very soon. Yeah, not that soon, but soon enough. Another month, another month, but like that, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but we're going to start off right now by talking about a quick recap of Moon Knight Episode 2. Alrighty, so, uh, Episode 2 is titled Summon the Suit. And for longtime fans of Moon Knight, that's going to seem like a weird concept. And if there's anything that you have to kind of get comfortable with, coming into this show is that this is the MCU version of Moon Knight and it is drawing upon several of the elements of the comic book origin of the character but definitely adapting it for the screen either you know just for the Disney Plus screen or for future uh 
installments and appearances. So when I say that they're adapting it, there is a pretty distinct change in how Moon Knight uh, robes himself. Let's put it that way. Yes, this is true. Um, and also on that note, I there was a one aspect, a new one, newer aspect of the character in, in one of his uh, suits uh, that we saw actually sooner than I expected to. To be to be honest, I figured that would have been like a last episode thing, uh, but but apparently we we got something front and almost front and center not too long ago. But to get into it though. Right. Uh, we start off with um, Stephen Grant waking up. He's chained to the bed. There's that one scene from the trailer where he's uh, getting out of bed and he's uh, chained and he falls over. Um, you know, uh, and then we see him kind of going to work and he's um, uh, runs into the security guard who's about to, um, who I guess is, is cordoning off the place because they're he's about to. Um, to uh, look at the security tapes from the the previous night, to which we know what happened to to uh, Stephen. I'm, I'm about to call him Mark. It's so easy to call him Mark, knowing that that's the main that you live the main character in the comics. But what we're starting off with is this other aspect, Stephen. So it's kind of weird. So definitely. But either way, uh, so Stephen's Stephen's like, well, let me go come and let me come watch it with you because you this because like, he knows what happened. Um, and he's like telling the telling the guards like, yeah, this is some stuff, man. This is some calling them bruv and 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 so this is some stuff that's gonna melt your brain and some MI six slash you know uh, whatever whatever stuff. But apparently, when they're going through the footage, all uh, all they see is Steven kind of um, uh, fumbling around. Like we see from what the, the audience knows uh, that um, uh. You know, Stephen got chased by a jackal creature through the through the uh, museum and, and whatnot. But the security cameras didn't pick that up and just see kind of Stephen kind of running through the um, running through the uh, the museum. And of course, there's the breakage, you know, the breaking of the um, the 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 bathroom stuff that we don't see because I guess they obviously don't have the cameras in there, uh, which uh, lens, which um, kind of has uh, Mark. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep doing that. Has Stephen cut a little bit perplexed, but then it cuts to um, Stephen. Uh, Stephen, and I guess that was his boss's office. Or that HSR, or not his boss's office, but that's like it's a, HR. Uh, yeah, the the HR. Which I when I saw this part, and I was like, <laughs> like HR was, has never. I have never come across an HR that says we're with you or or you know something like that. And I'm like, yeah, right, and, and especially with my. Last instances with HR. <laughs> well, I mean, considering you know, considering how the 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 encounter with HR ended, I guess they were being as sympathetic as possible, but at the same time doing the dirty deed. So, sure. um, I wanted to mention before we got to this part that there are you know, it's evident here that you know they had to make choices. It is, after all, a Disney Plus TV show. It is not a movie. And I felt like, you know, there are storytelling choices that they make that also work well with the budget that they plan to have. And I felt like that choice to make the uh, the jackal fight invisible, for the most part, was a choice that bent towards both of those masters. You know, the, 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 the relatively limited budget as well as storytelling. 
Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, and, and it, it does kind of make sense because, let's face it, like, as far as Steven knows, he's losing his mind and, and a lot of stuff that he's been seeing is, you know, while no one else sees it, that's pretty much how it's been. So it makes sense in that regard also. Um, but anyway, like uh, Agent 70 said, Steven pretty much gets the axe. He goes to talk to Crowley again, uh, who's outside being a, uh, being a living statue. Um, except for this time, we we get um, Crowley um, makes an expression when um, when Stephen hugs him uh, after he leaves or uh, before he leaves. So there is that. Um, but then I think we see. Um, I think this was a conversation where you said it was like he's gonna basically try to find out what's going on with that the key uh, and the the cell phone that he found in his apartment. Excuse me, his flat, <laughs> as they say, or whatever. Um, so it's goes, London, baby. Exactly. So he goes to find the storage unit, uh, and he, apparently he goes to a, a couple of different places um, uh, until he finds the right one because the the person at the front knows him, uh, recognizes his face, and takes him to his um, to his thing. We get the um, the one QR code, which uh, I don't know if you did. You did you um, check that? that qr code i did not but i noticed it yeah so basically it takes you to because i did it <laughs> it okay. takes you to, uh marvel unlimited uh and um specifically i believe it might be more there to it but um i know it was definitely the first appearance of moon knight which was world Wolf by night 32 33 something like that mm-hmm. and that's where the qr code for and i think it must be free up there because um uh, looking on that page it was basically saying like hey you can read this for free or something Okay. Yeah, and there's another instance later on of of, uh, of Moon Knight's first uh, instance that that apparently uh, shows up later on. But regardless, is that uh, dude opens up the uh, storage bin. Um, Steven goes in and he sees the stuff that that apparently is there from from Mark, including fake. Uh, well, it's not fake, but passports and a cot and other stuff. And apparently, well, we'll get to that later because I was about to say there was something that that uh, came up in the news that leads. I, I say it now. So apparently, one of the things that shows up in here is a uh, is the passport from Mark Spector, mm-hmm. which seems to suggest that uh, he made it through the snap. Right, like it was issued during the period of the blip. Right. So. So apparently, yeah. So apparently, because of that, we know that he was still around. Right. Um, I wanted to that- mention something very quickly before you move on. So, you know, one of the things I always get a kick out of when it comes to editorializing, right? When people, you know, when, you know, when, when people write how they write and they write what they do when they're describing something. So the, the, the recap that we're going off of is from Marvel.com. And I love that what they write is, uh, the only thing in the storage unit are a cot, emergency supplies, clothes, and a duffel bag containing, you know, the things that Roddy Cat just mentioned, including a bunch of cash in different um, in different currencies. And the first thing I saw was, well, this is obviously, you know, someone who is prepared. You know, this is the the mark of a, a military person, uh, especially the cot, you know, the the army cot that's in there. Uh, as well as the supplies that are uh, sitting around. The, it's very austere. You know, it's very spare. Uh, you know, really only holding the necessities. And that's what struck me. Not so much that there's not much in there, but it's just that what's in there is what is absolutely necessary. Right. 
I thought about that too because I was like, wait, could you actually do something like that? I mean, I know you probably could. It's just your storage being you could do whatever you want with it. Right. Point, but because I thought about that uh, at that point, I'm like, yeah, I guess you could do something like that and just kind of have some stuff in there just for. Right. Yeah. No, you can absolutely. Could. My understanding is that I, you know, they're 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 not supposed to let anyone sleep there, but you can stay there for extended periods. You know, I know people that have had like uh, that ran like small businesses. You know, like side hustles out of their storage units. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know they might keep a desk and and uh, and and stuff if if they have to um, process things in there. But, um, you know, that's my understanding is that they generally don't allow for people to stay overnight, but you can obviously, you know, store a cot in there. And if you need to lay down, you can lay down. Right. Right. And apparently, from from what I found out from someplace, there's an episode of Atlanta, if anybody knows that show, where one of the characters did something similar. (laughs) So that's kind of funny. But moving right along. uh, So, yeah, he finds the stuff. And I think there was a conversation between Mark and Steven and Reflection. Uh, Mark's basically trying to tell Stephen to, to go ahead and take a nap and let me take over and not to interfere. And Steve is like, nope, he's not ever sleeping again. And he takes the bag of money uh, uh, and the passports or whatever. Uh, and I think the scarab also. Uh, right, you missed the part. You missed the part where the scarab reveals itself to be the golden snitch from Harry Potter and Quidditch. But that's another story. It's the first thing I thought. <laughs> Actually, when I first saw it, when they first showed it in the first episode, I thought that too. I was like, yeah, sure, there, there is that thing. So yeah, so so. Steven grabs up all that stuff, uh, walks out, uh, and gets chased by Khonshu. And I don't know, I don't know if you you caught that, but there was the one freeze frame of uh, Steven's face before before the chase happens. I'm sitting here like, what in the world? I was like, you you would think Yakety Sax was about to happen because it was like it was kind of comical uh, uh, when that happened. But regardless, uh, Khonshu chases um, uh, Steven throughout the the. Um, the, the storage area, which is unlike any storage uh, place that I've ever been to. I've only been to a few, so I can't say. Yeah. Like, I know there's inside, because I know the ones around here have inside and outside, and this place is, seems, yeah, I don't know, a little, little different. But anyway, uh, but it could be a blundering thing. Who knows? Either way, um, um, Chase happens, it goes outside where Steven almost gets hit by uh, Layla, who shows up on a bike. Uh, on a moped, excuse me, um, you know, and she's still not not fooled by, well, thinking she's not fooled by his accent and thinking she's he's still Mark, which she calls him, uh, and he convinces her to take her to his flat where he could try to explain things, and um, um, and then they go there, they talk. Stevens, I mean, Mark's basically is into the reflections, talking about leave her out of this. You know, she's not having nothing to do with this. Uh, Layla explains the fact that uh, they're still married, which, to which obviously you know Steven would not know in, uh, about. Um, and she also brings um, divorce papers. Um, so, so yeah, this all, all this happens. Um, uh, Stephen, uh, excuse me, yeah, Stephen gives shows her the scarab and give basically gives it to her because he's like he doesn't want it. You know, which obviously is going to put her in the far, uh, harm's way. And then I believe this is when the two the detectives come knocking on the door, uh, looking for Stephen because of the whole uh, museum incident. But um, and there's a little something about them that's comic comic book uh, related about these two detectives in a way. But we'll get to that. Um, or it may not 
be of any issue. But basically, there is a comic uh, thing to that. So anyway, um, they come in to talk to her. Layla uh, skipped out of the of the window. They basically take um, Stephen to go see Arthur Harrow, unbeknownst to him. Um, where in there in some discrete part of the town where he set up a commune or something. Yeah, um, that was weird. You know, I thought it was uh, a pretty convincing uh, double cross there. You know, having the inside, uh, you know, ha- having these uh, these agents of of Harrow Arthur Harrow on the inside of uh, the London, you know, Metro Police. You know, when they announced themselves as DC, I was like, Detective Constable. Is that what that stands for? I didn't. I never Googled it, but I was I was guessing. Yeah. I believe that is because I, and I think I only know that because of like shows like Luther. Where, where I've watched where it's like, yeah, that's I think that's what they call themselves. And that's an ignominious way for the Mets to score their first run of the season. Sorry, folks. It is opening day tonight. Yeah. So yeah, so the, the constable so the detectives take like the uh, take um take um take Steven to see Harrow, but on the way they basically pull up um uh, Mark Spector because they saw the um, uh, the the passport that Stephen had on him in his bag, um, and they basically say that hey yeah Mark is an international mercenary he's wanted for a, a, a hit on a dig site which basically could go back to the origins of um, to Moon Knight uh, in the comics not necessarily in the same way because it sounds like them they may sound like he killed everybody but like, there's going to be more to that story. Uh, in the coming episodes, uh, but like I said, they take him to see um, Harrow, who's in this commune that he apparently set up, um, um, and basically he and uh, Stephen. I keep trying to say Mark, and I'm trying not to do that, folks. So you got to forgive me for this. But Stephen and Harrow talk, um, and Harrow basically says that he um, he's trying to convince Stephen that. Um, well, actually, he's one. He said that he was also uh, um, uh, a fist of vengeance, which uh, I know is a kind of, uh, I believe, is a more recent thing uh, in the comics for Moon Knight. But it's basically blending his uh, what um, you know what what Moonlight Moon Knight calls himself. Right, and it's and, and it's mildly confusing because we're used to being, you know. Uh, we're used to being treated to a spirit of vengeance, but not necessarily a fist of vengeance. You know, being the fist of Khonshu was always one thing, but, you know, it, it, it never translated to being, a, you know, working for uh, a, a god, an Egyptian god of vengeance, per se. And that's kind of, you know, it's kind of crossing a few different wires in my brain. I don't know about you. Well, it kind of did until I saw something out there uh, that made sense. Because basically, like you said, the Fist of Khonshu is a thing that, that we've seen in the comics before. Uh, I believe in another comic, uh, another set of Moon Knight comics, which I don't remember reading, Vengeance did come up in the title. You know, the little the, the, the subheading of the title, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Um, but then I think I saw on an Easter egg video that brought up Jason Aaron's run of the Avengers when they did a whole uh, Age of Khonshu thing. And that's when the Fist of Vengeance thing came up. Okay. I mean, we read that. You know, we read that in real time. So, you know, that's pretty recent. And, you know, it's just... But like I said, that it being that recent actually plays into what I was saying even more. Is right. that we're just not used to hearing that. 
Exactly. Because I was like, yeah, because just like you, I was like, well, that seems weird because it obviously like it's a defensive concert thing. But then once I saw that, I was like, oh, right. Okay, there we go. And then I forgot about the whole Fist of Vengeance titling uh, during that, you know, of that thing. Right. So, I wonder okay. if they ever, you know, whenever they, whenever they, uh, they reintroduce Ghost Rider into the MCU, I wonder if they're going to make him something not the spirit of vengeance. I kind of wonder about that. Yeah, I don't know. I suspect they might. They might still do that, but who even knows at this point of when, if and or when that's going to happen? Yeah, it's just kind of curious. Yeah, so I, I agree because I thought about the same thing also. So, um, but yeah, but yeah, um, but yeah, Harold's talking to Stephen. He basically was like, "Yeah, I was the first. Um, I was a. I was also uh, the Fist of Vengeance first. Um, you know, and basically um, talking down about um, uh, Kanshu virtually. He can't really do much. You know, he can you can blow some stuff over, do this and that and the other, but he can't. He can't really do anything to you. And even when you know, we hear Kanshu's voice and Stephen hears it, and you know, it seems like Harold even knows what basically he's saying in, in a certain part of it. It's like, oh, he's telling you this and that and other, huh? You know. Uh, and basically, he goes on to say that, Harold goes on to say that, yeah, Conscious even, isn't even liked by the rest of the gods. <laughs> so, which, you know, who's to say that may or may not be true? Um, so, yeah, anyway, we continue with this um, Harold talking and, and Stephen and them talking. Um, and basically trying to play up Amit who is, I guess, who Harrow is working for now. Um, and um, uh, that's, uh, sorry, got something going on here. Um, so basically, Harrow's basically um, talking to Ahmet and talking down Kanshu, and um, I think Mark pops up. Um, <clears throat> um uh, and Harold talks to him and basically saying that, yeah, he's, you know, um, Kanji's never going to let you go. You know, you're going to be working for he's him. He's never going to give you up. Oh, no, we just got Rickrolled. <laughs> nice. Um, he's like, basically, but basically telling Mark slash uh, Steven, like, yeah, Kanji's never going to gonna go on his word. You're going to be working for him forever. And there's always going to be a last mission. There's not another. Um, and then Steven kind of pops back up and, and is like, well, Ammon's. Amit's um, methods aren't necessarily right either because you're basically judging people before they even do anything. You know, that, so that whole... Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very, um, whatchamacallit, it's a very, um, oh my god, what's that Tom Cruise movie? Uh, yes, Minority Report. Minority Report, thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there is that. Um... So, what happens? What happens? Oh yeah, the... the they're going through the commune. Um, uh, Layla comes up and with the the scarab, uh, and Layla she's like, "Summon the suit, summon the suit." And Steve is like, "What? Huh?" So he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then they end up running um, until they get to a what's like a, a attic or something, a big attic or something, um, where they seem to be trapped by uh, this. Jackal beast that's Harrow um, summons, right? Um, and uh, which Layla can't see, but but Stephen can, so there is that. Uh, Stephen does end up uh, summoning a suit after he falls out a window, <laughs> but mean, it's not the suit he was expecting. No, it is not. Well, it's not the suit we were expecting. That's for sure. That too. Yeah. 
Um, in fact, it is the suit that is now that is um, known as the Mr. Knight suit, which is a more recent thing in the comics. Uh, like, which is why I said earlier, like, yeah, I wasn't really expecting to see this uh, this suit this early on in the show. Um, but there you go. Um, and for those that don't know, the Mr. Knight persona is kind of more of a detective, you know, kind of more. Kind of Sherlock Holmes, just Holmes's, I guess, in a in a certain way. Well, he's more uh, he's more adept at being a person, as opposed right. to being you know the fist of Conshu. So right. you know he's definitely more uh, willing to speak to people, police, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's definitely a different aspect of the Moon Knight character. Right. Oh, also we get a superhero landing in a way, which was that was part was kind of funny. Right. Yeah, so we get a landing, but then he kind of just falls over, and he, it's still Stephen kind of in control of the body. So he gets up, you know, sees himself in a in a reflection, um, and then the jackal kind of comes comes in and starts some stuff with him again. Uh, they apparently Stephen kind of gets a little bit of confidence and and you know hits the jackal thing, um, you know. Um, uh, at one point, uh, we get his Moon's Knight sticks, his trunkians. Truncheons. Yeah, yeah. We see that was coming. I was about to say, you made it sound like it was monkeyans. Oh, no. That's so funny. So, Mr. Knight kind of, um, they kind of wrestle about it a little bit, but he gets put uh, the, the Jack of Silken against the upper hand until. Uh, Mark ends up taking over, and then we get the Moon Knight suit proper uh, come back into play. And the most of this scene is just Moon Knight running and being chased by the Jackal up until the the one part where we see in the trailer where he's jumping over the jumping uh, over to, from building to building and uh, takes care of the Jackal by impaling him on a. Um, on a pointed statue or whatever that was. Yeah, it looked like a steeple. Yeah. So, you know, it's you know, it's it was a, a fitting way for, for him to find and use something in the environment because we really have only seen uh not crescent darts, but just a single crescent that he's used as a weapon at this point. Mm-hmm. So we're not yet completely we've not yet completely seen the repertoire of weapons that Moon Knight uh, has used in the comic books. We've seen them displayed. You know, the truncheon is a little, uh, you know, is definitely like an old school thing. You know, we're used to the um, the truncheons being on his forearms. Uh, but, uh, you know, we still haven't seen like the full range of weaponry that Moon Knight normally wields in the comic books um, here on the uh, MCU show through two episodes. So after the fight, um, Mark is still in control of the body. Stevens in, is in the reflections, and they have a a, a talk. Uh, Stevens trying to get back in control of the body. Mark's like, "Nah, I don't think so." Um, um, and I think, yeah, it basically leads them to having an argument, and and Mark kind of kicking the glass, uh, the, the the glass part of that steeple thing or whatever the the the, the jackal monster got um got uh impaled on Conchu comes in and basically says yeah you know what hey you do this for me and i'll definitely let you go 
uh, let you go about your business because Mark's still under the belief that Kunshu's going to be a person of his word or a god of his word. Stevens doesn't believe it, obviously, but you know, there there is that. Um, and then I think this is when we cut to uh, after this conversation between Mark and Kunshu, we cut to the end scene where we see uh, Mark. Well, we assume that's Mark. Anyway, we don't not entirely sure, but we assume that's Mark waking up um, with a bottle in his hands, and he's in Egypt. Yep. And that's pretty much uh, what ends the uh, the ends the episode. All right. So I like this episode. I I like where they're going with this. I, you know, as I mentioned at the at the top, it's still. You know, it it still takes a little getting used to seeing a new character being introduced in a different way than what we're used to seeing them in the comics. You know, and seeing the adjustments that they make. I wanted to mention, I'm not sure if you mentioned it in passing, uh, what the 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 um the detective constables mentioned about looking into Mark Spector's past while they were hauling him to the uh the commune area. Yeah. Did you talk about that? You know, about him being a mercenary. Yeah. He was at a yeah, I did mention that. Okay, so that was an interesting in that was in, that was an interesting insight into what we're used to, what we are accustomed to, because we are not used to Stephen Grant being uh, a gift shopper. You know, right. it's not something that we are even remotely familiar with. Stephen Grant in the comic books is the Bruce Wayne alter ego of uh of mark specter so it's interesting here that uh stephen grant is literally the peter parker aspect of uh, mark specter probably won't be taking pictures of himself though but right right <laughs> you know but but in the in, in in the sense that it's just a regular guy with a, a pretty decent moral compass right and you know, someone who, you know, is, is just, you know, uh, has, has a little bit of the, the Parker luck as it were, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at least that's the way we're, you know, we're, we're seeing him portrayed and written in the story so far. So it's different to see, um, uh, that particular aspect of the Moon Knight character being, you know, the, the altar that, that we see here. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I confess to not being that familiar with the Moon Knight character. I, I know that um, there were at least three personalities. There were three distinct personas that Moon Knight had. One was a cab driver, and, and I assumed that was going to be the Steven character. But, you know, we're definitely straying away from the comic books in that the Steven character is not, like, filthy rich and can afford, like, a moon jet and things like that. Right. So... And Mark being the the, the the mercenary, right? Normally the main, you know, the the, the main um, um, personality. Yeah, exactly. The main personality, the main identity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and seeing that shift has definitely been different, especially with like when going into this this whole thing. Like that's a weird change, but I guess there's a reason for for that. Uh, to which I guess we will find out. Which is kind of sad because if we end up seeing Stephen. I guess that's the what we don't really know at this point. Like, are Steven's not the one in control anymore, and will so is he going to continue to be a backseat, or will at some point he ends up being the main, you know, the, the main personality, but uh, giving way to Mark, uh, you know, 
at times of, of, of distress. Right. So it's it's a weird, and we got four more episodes to go. So we guess we'll find out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still plenty of time. You know, there's still plenty of time in the story. Uh, you know, and to see the story develop. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was uh, Moon Knight episode two. It was definitely. I'm not gonna say it's a, a better episode because I enjoyed the first one, so I don't don't want to make it sound like I didn't enjoy the first one. But like I said, like I said last week, like yeah, that, a lot of that stuff we saw in the trailers, we just as Agent Seven said, getting contact for this is just pretty much quote unquote mostly all new stuff with the exception of a couple of scenes that were in the trailer. Right. I think that jumping across the buildings, yes, was was in the trailers, and I think that was probably it in terms of like. Uh, what we've seen in the trailer. So, you know, uh, this episode was pretty... Well, no, what I was going to say is... And hold on to your thought. What I was going to say is most of this episode was pretty new to everyone. Right. Go ahead. Now, I was just going to say, the the part with the crescent dart where he's grabbing a crescent dart... Um, well, one, when he's pulling off the thing, that was in a couple of trailers also. Oh, okay. I mean, I try to stay... You know, and, and this is something we've talked about before on the show is that I've, I, I've, I've become want to not watch every single trailer that comes out you know i'll watch the first one maybe the second one but any of the little ones or if i see a commercial i might look away (laughs) as impractical as that is sometimes so you know just to avoid any further um spoilers and or just hints of what might happen Mm -hmm. yeah that's just that's just something i've started to do no and because it makes sense because at a certain point as we know from a lot of trailers a lot of trailers will end up giving up a whole lot of the movie at a certain point. Like, you get to see one or two trailers just to get the point of it, and after that, they're just overloading you with either stuff that's in the movie or rehashing stuff in different ways, you know? Right. So it's kind of not worth it to, to, to watch the trailers, or a lot of the trailers, I should say, so I get that. Uh, but anyway... We should move on to the books of the week, having uh, dealt with that. And we did say we were going to start off with, uh, I believe, Fantasy Four number 42, which I guess, now that I think about it, we probably should have just gotten Moonlight out of the way (laughs) (laughs) since that came out this week. That is fair enough. I mean, we could pivot. Yeah, we'll do that. All right, so we'll pivot. Pivot! Um... That, that's a that's a friends reference, folks. Moon Knight number ten is written by Jed McKay with art by Alessandro Capuccio, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So this uh, th- this issue has some interesting revelations in it, and it fills in a little bit of the gap that happens during the whole uh, Devil's Reign crossover. Uh, with Moon Knight, and it's it's an inch, it, it definitely plays with what we were expecting. It plays with our expectations and plays with, um, uh, you know, what we and the character Moon Knight were expecting. You know, post his participation in Devil's Reign, which coincidentally finally freaking finishes this week. So, but um, but yeah, no, we have a character that was introduced. Uh, somewhere else, and apparently this is the first time we're seeing this character in full. Um, it, it happens to be a character um, who broke out of Ravencroft Institute and is uh, looking to settle some kind of score with Moon Knight, 
And what they hold in common is that they're both being treated by the same psychiatrist or therapist. Not sure. I'm I'm, I'm going to guess it's a psychiatrist. Uh, they do say therapist most of the time, but I mean, yeah, I think um, I think they throughout the whole issue they've said they've said therapist. Mm-hmm. So, uh, did you say the? You did say the. I did. Did you? Okay. Sorry. But yeah. So and um. So most of the issue is pretty much the this winter person and Moon Knight kind of going against each other until a revelation ends up uh, forming. Exactly, that's related to their uh, their mutual uh, connection. And then Clayface shows up. No. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, the Marvel version, right? Right. Which I had never because I had to look up that character. I'm like, wait a minute, who is this? <laughs> like, when, why did they put Clayface in here? Um, but yeah, as I just said, it's a version of them that is, uh, apparently a character from a good one. It's a, it's a pull. Yes. It's a deep pull. Yeah. It is a deep pull starting from Spider-Woman from, from what I looked up. So right. I'm like, okay, sure. And it's not, listen, and that's not, that, that's definitely something that McKay is, uh, good at. As it were, he definitely has a grasp of Marvel history and is not un- and is definitely willing to delve and dig into uh, Marvel lore to pull out characters and even stories. And uh, I kind of I kind of giggled when, when when you said that because it, it it crossed my mind and I couldn't even begin to tell you the last time I had ever even seen this character. Right, like I don't ever remember seeing this character. Like I said, I think, like, which is why I said I had to, I had to go look him up. I'm like, is this actually a new character? Or is this someone that actually uh, um, that's been around for a while? Turns out, yeah, this character's been around for a minute. So <laughs> now, the early days of uh, Spider Woman, I don't know that much uh, about, which is probably why I didn't know about it. But apparently, um, I think this actually this character has come up fairly recently. Uh, now that I think about it. Um, when I looked in, uh, looked into him, but I don't remember it, even though I think it's something I read. So that's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, that's it. It, it ends up there. Uh, this other character, this Clayface character, ends up being a, a part of the situation. Um, uh, and uh, I guess the the bridge for Moon Knight to go forward quite ruthlessly <laughs> in dealing with this character. Um, well, what's funny about it is that th- nothing's going to actually happen to this character. He'll just be trapped. Right. You know, it's definitely, uh, let's say, reminiscent of how Spidey dealt with the Juggernaut. Sure, sure, sure. Or, I guess, um, Hydra Man and Sandman. But then again, you know, at, at one point in time, mm-hmm. even out of that situation. Uh, this one, I don't know. I would not want to be trapped in the situ- in that situation. Let's put it that way. Oh no! I was about to say that it's 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 definitely cruel and unusual. But at the same time, um, you know the 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 assembled heroes and antiheroes that are working with uh, Moon Knight at this point are definitely uh, okay with it, and they're moving on. They're moving forward to uh, take on Zodiac, who is revealed as the uh, kind of main villain of this arc in the last several issues. We also know there's another part that hasn't come up yet, but I, I assume will. We know someone that is close to Mark is, is basically spying on him, who was also in that uh, there in the beginning. So we're curious if the per- if the people they're spying 
four is going to get involved at some point uh, with this one way or the other. But guess we'll find out. Uh, now we can go on to, I yeah. guess. Uh, and you know what? Before you, before we move on, I thought it was funny, and I think it's still funny that uh, over the course of this now 10-issue long series, we have seen virtually every costume iteration that Moon Knight has. And part of that probably helps to get us used to the idea that, you know, there are different versions of the character and different costumes that come in and out. In the right. comics, we're not used to the idea yet of him robing himself the way he does in the series. You mm-hmm. know, maybe that'll become part of his powers now. Oh, you, yeah, like they tend to do is the the stuff from the MCU coming back into the exactly, comics. exactly. You know, cross pollination, cross referencing here because we're not used to that. You know, we're used to these things being uniforms, as it were. Honestly, that would this one I can say outside of what I've said about um, the what they're doing with Shang Chi mm-hmm. uh, in the comics now, uh, this one wouldn't be a bad fit. Honestly, I would I wouldn't mind this if they did do, do that. You know, taking aspects from from what we've seen in the show and and especially well, that particular it. aspect, right? Like well, the way he robes himself, because you know it's it seems ponderous to have to like have like a closet full of these things, you know, because we've seen the black costume. Like this is like a, uh, this is kind of the black costume as it were, you know, with like the armor plating on it. Right. I think it's colored and shaded a little differently here in this issue, but I think this is the black costume that has like armor plates on it. We've also seen like the all white, like classic costume. And we've seen the Mr. Knight costume in this series. Right. So, you know, it will be interesting to see if they interpret the way if, if they if they uh, if they bring that over from the MCU now. Right. Yeah. Like I said, in that respect, I wouldn't mind it. So especially especially if it goes along, if it's connected to the dissociative identity disorder. Right. Yeah. To which we haven't really seen too many of the other aspects, which I thought he had gotten kind of sort of gotten rid of. At one point in recent history, uh, but I could be wrong about because I know there was like you know the last couple of volumes of Moon Knight kind of was dealing with some of that stuff, um, but I don't know if that was actually the case or not. Uh, but I guess we'll, hopefully we'll find out. Uh, so yeah, so now we can move on. Let's sure. Fantastic Four number forty-two. All righty, Fantastic Four number forty-two is written by Dan Slott with art by Rachel Stott. Colors by Jesus Abertov and Eric Arseniega, and letters by our favorite lettering Paisan, VC's Joe Caramagna. So this was an issue. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening here. Let me lead off and I'll hand it off to you. So, uh, you know, the issue opens with the Badoon uh, uh, continuing their invasion of Earth and making a beeline to the Baxter building. And once at the Baxter building, uh, the uh, the Richards kids and the Grimm kids, uh, together with, uh, with Alicia Masters, are looking to uh, do something to stop the Badoon from getting to what seems to be their goal, which is the Forever Gate that's being stored in the, or being housed, not stored, but housed in the current Baxter building. Meanwhile, the, the erstwhile Fantastic Four 
uh, uh, consisting of uh, The Thing, Reed Richards, Jack of Hearts, and She-Hulk are off in Shi'ar space looking to uh, do whatever it is they're doing. I actually forgot at this point, and Roddy Cat will probably fill everyone in. But um, they are there uh, looking to retrieve, if I recall correctly, something to do with the Mkron crystal. And uh, at that point, they get the distress call. Reed gets the distress call from... um, from Valeria saying that the Badoon are about to capture the Forever Gate and they institute uh, Protocol Zero, I think it was called. That's correct. And, you know, uh, basically uh, uh, Reed tells Ben that they initiated a self-destruct and everyone was dead. And I'll leave Roddy Cat to talk about how that plays out over the course of the issue. Meanwhile, we have She-Hulk and Jack of Hearts uh, you know, giving Ben and Reed some time to sort that out, but they end up running into um, the Reckoning. You know, it sounds like a bad '90s rock band, the Reckoning. <laughs> right. You know, uh, I don't know if it's a Christian rock band or if it's just a indie rock band, but it's the Reckoning. And it sounds like a Christian rock band. Yeah, you know, and so obviously something I would never listen to. And uh, or a Christian rock band. What's that? Or- or a Christian rap, rap band. Oh, Lord, even something I something I would throw something at. Um, it's not the spirit of hip hop, but anyway, you know we can argue about that. You know, but um, you know, send all your uh, tweets at agent underscore seventy on that one. It's not the spirit of hip hop, people. But anyway, so I will hand that off to Rodica, and he will take it from there. Yeah, there's really not much else to say. So basically, as of, of um, the, the the whole Ben and Reed thing. So yeah, Ben, uh, when he's told, obviously, you know, feels a certain way because you know Reed basically told them to self. Well, presumably told them to self destruct and and that uh, all of them were dead. Reed, I mean, Ben doesn't necessarily take that in a good way because obviously you know that's his kids and and his family you know including reed's kids uh that's a family that he thinks is gone so he gets real pissed off and uh goes at reed and this is i guess this was the fight we had been alluded to many 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 months ago that um presumably that one of them were supposed to die I mean, well, excuse me. Uh, well, not one of them, but where I think Reed was supposed to die, not because the whole Ben thing had already happened. That, right. That. So what's funny is that hold hold your thought. What's funny about that is that I think that it actually that 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 scenario, the specific scenario that they had seen, had already played out. But as Roddy Cap mentioned, this might have been just a variation on that. Right, because as we saw in the last issue, the, a variation of what. Which what would have happened to Ben did actually happen, but not in the way that it was originally presented. Right, well, or originally foretold, allegedly. Right. So go ahead. Right. So yeah, so so needless to say, Ben they, they fight, or actually Ben fights Reed. Reed trying to hold him off, and they basically get to a point to to where, um, which is, seems unnecessary to me. It was like Ben, but but uh, but um, but you know Ben obviously upset and, and taking it out on Reed because he think what of what he thinks he knows until he finds out otherwise and then we get to find out that well that whole um protocol zero thing was not necessarily what 
Reed told it to be, but Reed gives a reason as to why that wasn't the case. So, which is a, I guess it makes sense during what's given what's going on, but you feel like you could have done it a different way. Reed could have done it a different way as opposed to putting himself through that, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he thinks he's going, he's probably, well, he thinks he's going to die, whether we that actually came from it. So I guess in that respect, he didn't matter one way or the other. It didn't matter one way or the other to him. Um, so, yeah, so that's still the case. And Ben obviously is like, okay, I still don't trust you, but here we are. So then I guess this is when they go back, go back after um, uh, She-Hulk and, and Jack of Hearts. And yeah, like you said, they were basically they were basically chasing down the Mkron crystal in Shi'ar space, which was taken by the Reckoning. Uh, and they end up in whatever that other space they were in in the in the um, in the end of this issue, which apparently was a trap. So, uh, wait, what did you call it? Wait, what? What did you call it? The space? I don't know if I don't remember what I just said. No, 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 no. Seriously, is that is that really what you called it? I mean, you know, you couldn't give me a chance to uh, look for Admiral Akbar. Oh, oh, it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't find it. That's so funny. That is so so funny. That you had that. <laughs> I know. I'm like looking for it now. I'm just like, where did it go? I have too many sound effects sometimes, folks. I have to weed out the ones that I don't use that, that often. And you know, it's it's a it's a process, folks. It is a process. And I use it all the time, which is funny. Oh, here we go. It's a trap. Thank you. So yeah. So the so this team of Fantastic Four is is, is uh in, in a trap. Um uh, and that's where they leave off. But uh, at the end of this issue, we see Doc, one Doctor Doom in uh, a swamp, presumably in the the, uh, the wait, what is it called? The Nexus of All Realities, probably near there. Yeah, that's what I think is implied. Yeah, and he's talking to somebody. I at first I thought he was talking to Swamp Thing, but he's probably not, <laughs> um, because this is the Wrecking War, so. Uh, given the image that we see after the last page of the book, probably Doom's fighting an enemy, uh, one of the Reckoning. Um, oh, also, I guess we uh, forgot to mention about the part where uh, Johnny and the Unparalleled go and help uh, Wiccan and, and Hulkling uh, with the Reckoning in their part of the universe. And they bring some friends along. Yeah, they bring some backup, extra backup. Yeah, like a couple of groups of backup for that for that matter. Um which is which is kind of funny to see. Definitely, so it's going to be one big knocker at, at the end of this all with uh, everybody coming when everybody comes back together. Right, and if you're keeping up with the Thor book, it's kind of tough to see uh, Beta Ray Bill there with his version of Stormbreaker. I'm like, when is this happening? That's not accurate anymore. Right, right. You know, but in any event, uh, are you are you are you wrapping up or? Right down there. Okay, I wanted to mention just a you know make a, a mention of one thing during this issue that I I rather enjoyed. I rather enjoy in this book that Nick Fury has been given an increased role. He's not you know you know I kind of miss his voice in comics. Mm. I just do. You know, it's, I feel like, you know, old school, like OG Nick Fury, like, I feel like he's like the Ed Burns character from Saving Private Ryan. You know, he's Private Ryben. 
Right. Or, or Corporal Ryben. I think he was a corporal. I, I can't re- re- uh, recall exactly. But, you know, you know, you know, definitely from Brooklyn, definitely has an accent, definitely has an attitude about following orders and giving orders and whatnot. So I, I really enjoy seeing and hearing, specifically hearing uh, Nick Fury kind of skulking as a character in the shadows. So funny you mentioned that because sometimes when I hear the OG Nick Fury's voice, I think of uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character in uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. Oh yeah, so that's a different yeah, that's a different voice, right? But I but I can also see it coming. Like if he did a version of Nick Fury, I could almost I can almost see it. Oh, you mean you mean uh, Tommy Lee Jones? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a, like the older current Nick Fury. Right. Yeah. So. But yeah, so that's pretty much wraps up uh, Fantastic Four number 42. This is leading to, I don't know how many more uh, um, <clears throat> issues we got of this uh, whole Reckoning War thing. Uh, I don't think it's that many, but I know that they're crossovers, so it's kind of hard to say. Right, that is true. So, But, uh, you know, I was, I was about to say, I think the last book that we're going to talk about during reviews are is probably Black Widow number 15. I believe that is the case. So Black Widow number 15 is written by Kelly Thompson with pencils by both Elena Casagrande and Rafael Pimentel. Inks are by Elisabetta D'Amico and Rafael T. Pimentel. Uh, colors are by Jordi Belair. That's a name we haven't spoken of in a long time. And letters by VCs Clayton Cowles and Corey Pettit. So this is definitely a, t- a book full of teamwork. You know, amongst the creative team. And we pick up this issue with um, Natasha against the Living Blade. And what's great about this book, and what I'm going to unfortunately miss about this book, and we'll get to that when we wrap up our review of this, is that uh, Casa Grande's art, and I guess the pacing that Kelly Thompson put into this book allowed for multiple panels to tell very subtle parts of the story and action parts of the story. So there is literally a part of this book within the first two pages of the story that shows a sign language sequence. And if you are familiar with Hawkeye at this point in time, you know why he's using it and why he knows it. And... As the story progresses, you know, we have the Living Blade and all of the machinations that have been going on during this story arc kind of playing to their, uh, I don't want to say logical end, but that seems to be what, that seems to be how it played out because all of the characters introduced here played the roles that they were meant to play, even if it was kind of a, in kind of a roundabout way. Um mm. The heroes that are on Natasha's side kind of band together. Something that was pretty dramatic gets fixed in uh, a little bit of a Deus Ex Machina uh, type of way in this issue. You know, literally kind of falling, like walking down the hallway, kind of falling out of the sky the way a Deus Ex Machina normally Mm -hmm. would in literature. And, you know, the reveal was, you know, shocking to me, but I was like, oh, that's convenient. But then there's a part in this book that I particularly enjoyed. 
And it's not that big a spoiler, but it was really nice to see the Winter Soldier kind of doing Winter Soldier things. Yes. You know, it's been a long time since we've seen it. Like, literally, like, mowing through a bunch of bad guys. Like, and not flinching, not ducking, not taking a hit, nothing. And it was kind of refreshing. Yeah. You know? Even... A nice little trick shot flourish at the end. Exactly, and I and I understand that we're supposed to give as storytellers are want to do, and I, I put myself into into their shoes as a, as a comic book fan and as a fan of genre. Right, we're supposed to give heroes nearly insurmountable odds, but every once in a while, when they're facing surmountable odds, we need to show off some of the hero's skill, and that's what I kind of miss when it comes to the Winter Soldier. In, um, you know, in the TV show, obviously they've, they, they've neutered him to a certain extent, you know, because they, one, don't have the budget for, for a lot of those action sequences. And two, they don't necessarily want to have him come off as like this big, violent dude, right? Oh, for goodness sake, Trevor May. Sorry, guys. But, um... You know, like literally, like what second pitch into the game? Goodness. So, um, but uh, at this point, uh, I'm I'm about to hand it off to Roddy Cat. But at a point where the Living Blade uh, kind of kind of is getting the better, let's say she's he's getting the better of Yelena Belova, and Natasha has to come back at the Living Blade, uh, newly. Uh, newly refocused, let's say, and I'll leave and I'll and I'll, and I'll hand it off to you, Radicat. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there is really not much else to say uh, for that. I, I, the only thing I can say is like, like you said, it was very convenient the way things, quote unquote, no pun intended, came together. Uh, for 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 that one part, um, and as as I was reading this, and Clint was kind of taking Nat. And was like, yeah, we could do this and this and that and the other. I was like, oh, yeah, they could very much do this and that. So I was thinking, well, maybe that's where they're going with this, you know. Uh, and turns out, no, we got this, this Mr. Fix, we got this fix it thing to kind of clean everything back up, put everything back, to put, to put, put things together again. So, so that kind of bummed me out in, in a way because I was like, well, you don't do something like that. To, uh, obviously, you don't know you don't do something like that without having a way to, to uh, fix it. You know, but also like they, they could have gone the way that was expressed in the um in, in this issue, and I would have been fine with it. But you know, I, I guess there's a reason why they basically put everything back in the box with except with with a certain um within certain reason. So, but yeah, like I said, we pretty much get a nice kind of neat wrap up to uh, this volume and much less and most of the stories. Obviously there's something that can't really get wrapped up because they're kind of stuff that's set in stone uh, in in Natasha's mind state uh, about a past thing. Um, but outside of that, everything was pretty much nicely and neatly wrapped up with um, with something to come back to later and I believe there is, we do have news about that later in the um, later in the uh, show about a potential uh, that potentially happening but as it stands right now this is the last issue of this book and uh, Black Widow volume as of this point until we find out what else is coming up down the pike pipe excuse me 
uh, we were good for um, um, rapid. Yeah, rapid fire time. I'm gonna spin this sucker up. Here we go. I ain't got time to bleed. All right, rapid fire, folks. You wanna go? Sure. I think I've got more books this week because I had a chance to. I had a chance to read last night. Oh yeah, you do. Let me go then. Uh, okay, because I don't have that uh, that many more books. Uh, let's see. So we're gonna start off with Magic Number Thirteen, aka Magic the Gathering Number Thirteen. Um, uh, creative team is Jed McKay, writer, illustrator Iguara, colors by Ariana Consani, and letters by Ed Dukeshire. Um. <laughs> So we have this team of uh, Chandra, Nico, and uh, Garrick, uh, and they're basically learning to to work as a team as they're uh, as they're trying to figure out one how to get back to Ravnica, and two coming across uh, a couple of uh, ne'er do wells that they've uh, had um, prior uh, running prior running with, and it's during the course of this fight where they're basically kind of learning to kind of gel together. Uh, but in the course of this fight, uh, another mystery uh, near the end of it, as, as the fight kind of subsides, presents itself. So which means that this is sending them on another side quest uh, to to figure out this other mystery in order for them to get back to that's going to play into their main goal, which is basically to try to get back into Ravnica. So it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good um Fun issue, you know. Jed, Jed McKay can write some uh, come some fun, quick action stuff. So there was that. Next up is She-Hulk number three. Speaking of uh, She-Hulk and uh, Jack of Hearts, we have the writer Rainbow Roll, art by Roger Antonio, color artist Rico Renzi, uh, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Did you read this? Or no? I did. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Um. The majority of the issue is basically uh, getting readers caught up on who the hell Jack of Hearts is for the most part. Like we start off with uh, Jen going into the office and um, talking to Mallory Book, her boss, and come to find out that um, Awesome Andy is back in the picture, who is um, who is an, uh, another throwback character from an um from an old she-hulk book in other places obviously uh um but um but they get to know that character again and then like so the rest of the issue is pretty much jen and um um jack hearts talking about basically his backstory and kind of re not necessarily reinventing himself but uh like i said getting people caught up on who he is which also led to the question, and, and thankfully got brought up in the, 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 the latter part of this issue, is does Jack of Hearts remember Disassembled? Because we, he talked about you know, him going into space and blowing up, which happened in an earlier uh, um, 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 a earlier episode uh, issue of The Avengers and I think Children's Crusade, now that I think about it, um, where that happened, but 
Jack of Hearts ends up being used in, in another uh, in another way after that, which did get bring up, brought up in this uh, story, but apparently he doesn't know anything about it. And also with the fact that his powers are seeming to be lessened than what they used to be and him seeming more human than um, than his powers his power level had them uh, uh, initially. So folks didn't know he's basically half human, half alien, and he had these powers because of XYZ thing that happened in some some vet he fell in like the Joker and ended up getting powers from it. Uh, he and She-Hulk had an issue uh, back in the Avengers because he, he was talking about siphoning off her powers. They were still trying to talk. They were talking about that kind of stuff, and he's kind of, you know, uh, I'm feeling still feeling kind of a way about that. So Jen's basically trying to help him uh, put things together uh, in the course of this issue. Leading to what? We don't know, but we also know that they're in... Uh, at some point, we assume that this is before the events of Fantastic Four number 42 because I don't know, that's just the way it seems. There's no real, you know, obviously this had to come before that because it wouldn't be to where they are there uh, without some of the stuff that we're starting to get to now. Uh, I think that's about it. Because like I said, there's pretty much, um, that's pretty much that unless we want to talk about Sicilian pizza. Uh, no. From native New Yorker here. I got a kick out of seeing that though. I was just like, what, what you know, like, Wait a second. Why is Rainbow Roll talking about like fixed slice? That's a Sicilian slice. There's not, you know, that's it. And it mentions that. I know, but I'm just, you know, like at first it doesn't say Sicilian. Right. Just talking about thick crust. I'm right. like, it's a Sicilian slice. <laughs> I thought about you when it, when they said that. It was like, oh no, it's not a New York slice. <laughs> just not a native. I mean, just not a real New Yorker. <laughs> just like a sloppy slice. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, the, 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 the regular pizza slices definitely evolved over time because everyone wants to put like a ton of toppings on it. And that seems to be what a lot of the tourists want, where whereas most New Yorkers are just like, yo, let me get a, you know, a regular cheese slice or with sausage or, 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 or pepperoni, maybe mushrooms, you know, and they want to eat it on the go. Right. And. Right. It's, you know, things are very, very different now in the city when it comes to that. Even in the neighborhood slice joints, it's 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 a little different where you get like, you know, uh, uh, you know, fried chicken pizza, you know, chicken pizza, chicken cutlet pizza, you know, like sitting around all day. Sure. You know, and that's just like there. It's just like, yeah, it's 350 slice. I'm like, what the, you know? So, but, uh, you know, that's just, that's just the old, the old school New Yorker in me. But anyway, is there uh you have any other books? Um. Oh yeah, yeah. Strange, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I got no. I got uh, another one. Actually, speaking of, because uh, he this is a character that shows up in both Geok and Fantastic Four. Uh, the Thing number six. I skimmed this. Go ahead. Okay. Cool. So there's a uh, the She-Hulk number three, and let me pull up the the Thing number six, which is the last issue of this particular um miniseries, but apparently there's another one coming uh, as we've come to find out. Uh, so yeah, thing, the thing number six, written by Walter Mosley, art by Tom Riley, color artist Jody Berlair, uh, letters by VCs uh, Joe Sabino. So, uh, the short straw is we finally found out, which I had to catch up because I forgot, I don't remember if I read the last issue, so I kind of had to go back and read the last issue to, to see if I remembered 
uh, reading it, which I had not. So it was good that I did. But basically, the the two friends that uh, Ben's going around with, uh, this kid named Bobby and his then girlfriend uh, Amaryllis, are definitely not what they were what they uh, put themselves to be uh, originally. Uh, and this story is, by the way, set in the past. So it's basically a new old story that seems to happen uh, more and more lately. So um, death is involved because apparently death fell in love with uh, Ben. Uh, Not Thanos. That's who Thanos should be going after, huh? Anna, right? Yeah, kind of fickle. Um, but And death is also taking Alicia hostage because we come to find out that death was also playing uh, her new boyfriend uh, or her then boyfriend and that, that death was the one that actually um, was the cause of basically all of this. Of course, Doctor Doom comes into play because his mom's still dead, uh, and that's been a sad thing of this. Um, but she's still dead, and she's still in hell. And um, uh, Ben, with the help of his two friends and some uh, some other contrivances, uh, um, uh, basically wins the day. Uh, I know there's a story going around that talks about a change to one of the characters, that being of Alicia Masters, but there really wasn't much to it because basically she, when she was in the death realm, whatever, she got her sight back. But once it came back out, uh, she was blind again. So that's really a non-issue. <laughs> you know, obviously they weren't going to do anything that was going to change uh, what is still current in the books. So, you know, you kind of have to do that kind of stuff. Uh, but like I said, at the end of this, we come to find out there is another uh, Ben miniseries that is coming up, apparently with him and uh, the Hulk. Or at least the first issue is. Yeah, at least the first issue is, as far as we know. So, but yeah, also, I enjoyed this for the most part. It got a little weird there because, like, you know, what's a whole what's going on situation and with these people? Are they going to have any lasting, um, uh, lasting, uh, you know, uh, things going on in the Marvel Universe. Don't know, because we know the watch, a Watcher had a son, and that was one of the characters, and like I said, the other one ended up being dead. So whether this one of these characters ends up, or, well, whether the the Watcher's son or whoever this person was comes up at some point, again, I guess we'll find out. Uh, but anyway, uh, last book for me is Strange Number 2, which I believe you also read, right? I did. Go ahead. Um, let's see. Written also by Jed McKay. Uh, pencils Marcelo Ferreira. Inks by Tiny Bubbles. I got a kick out of that. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Uh, Don Ho. <coughs> uh, uh, that's a reference. Go, go tell you. Go ask your grandparents about that. Uh, colors by Java Tartaglia. And letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Uh, so yeah. We start off with a fight between Clea and Zombie Thunderstrike. And this other person that apparently we have come to find out is, um, speaking of death, Death Sorcerer Supreme, as it's come to be called in this uh, issue. Um, and of course, Clea, trying to bring uh, Stephen Strange back, is making it her business to kind of get involved after finding out that... Uh, who this person was is trying to find out um, is going to find out going forward uh, a little bit more about these affairs because obviously if, if death has 
pick the Sorcerer Supreme, there's some stuff going on in Death's Realm, which kind of makes me wonder if that has anything to do with what happened in the, the, the thing uh, miniseries, but I very much doubt it. Um, we also see the, 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 the Thunderstrike mace has fled off somewhere, and we did see Thunderstrike's kid at the beginning of this, so I suspect at some point we're probably going to get another Thunderstrike. <laughs> At some point, Thunderstrike. Da, 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 da. There's an ACDC song called Thunderstruck. If you don't know, folks, actually, it's kind of funny you said that because, like, when when I think it was Zombie uh, Thunderstrike had said that, I, I thought about that song, and I don't even know how I even knew that song <laughs> from uh, maybe Iron Man. Uh, because no. Favreau Favreau leased. Iron Man with ACDC left and right, so yeah, but it was that was that, but that's Iron Man, uh, not necessarily Thunderstrike song, but I don't know, maybe, no, but it's just know. the it's just the word, you know, <laughs> Thunderstruck, know. Thunderstrike. So. Yeah, I know, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that could very well be the case, but I'm not even entirely sure. So, it, at any case, though, um, yeah, like I said, that's pretty much the the deal with that whole issue. So we're not we got clear going forward to. Uh, basically metal uh, in death's affairs um, going forward. I think there's something else I'm missing, but I don't remember, but that's pretty much that. And that is it for me. All right. So let me jump in with my books. First off is Batman number 122. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter, colors by Tomo Mori, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Not from VC when he's working for DC. Oh, I made a rhyme. So uh, in this issue, we are following up on Shadow War. And this is the first, I believe, crossover issue with Shadow War. And we are seeing the ramifications in this issue of the events of the that um, that first, what was it, the alpha issue of Shadow War? Yes. Oh, right. I forgot. I need to read this then. Right. Because I know that Roddy Cat read that. I did not. But this issue serves to uh, get us very quickly up to speed on what happened. And the absolute fallout of what happened in that issue starts off in this issue as the forces that are looking to capitalize on the events of that issue, as well as investigate the events of that issue, um, the events of that issue, uh, start to move uh, forward and move into place in this Batman issue. So, um, you know, it's definitely something if you are looking to keep up with Shadow War, this is an issue I think you should read. So I think this is something that Roddy Cat should read. I will warn, though, that Howard Porter's art, um, you know, and, 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 and I talked about him previously that, you know, he had to deal with, a, I believe, an, a hand injury and had to reteach himself how to draw. I mistakenly thought that it was a much more like serious health issue, but, um, you know, and I, I remember correcting myself when we last talked about it, but his art here has progressed to the kind of distracting, like there's a couple of little stylistic choices that he makes that make the book, a little, the art, a little distracting for me. This is a personal taste thing, but some people may like it. But, um, as I said earlier, if you're looking to keep up with the Shadow War story, you may have to read this book. Next up is Devil's Reign number six of six. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto, uh, colors by Marcio Meniz, and letters by VC's Clayton Cowell. So this is finally, finally the last issue of this Daredevil-centric uh, uh, crossover and miniseries. 
some of the things that have come of this come uh, about as a part of this series probably will have lasting ramifications moving forward, at least temporarily lasting. As, as as funny as that sounds, but it definitely will reverberate through the pages of the comics of the Marvel Universe. Um, I don't want to spoil everything. I think that um, the Roddy Cat will probably skim this issue and probably get everything he needs out of this entire limited series. Um, it's kind of disappointing to me, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it, there's only so much that I can expect for like kind of ending like a certain era in the Marvel comics, the, at least the New York City centric Marvel comics. And this issue definitely starts the resetting of a new status quo for the uh, for the uh, New York City area in the Marvel comics universe in the six one six. So. Uh, you know, I've been following Zdarsky's uh, Daredevil for a while. This definitely felt, I don't know, maybe it's the Ben Riley of it all because this, this wraps with Ben Riley uh, with, with Ben Riley st- uh, uh, still playing the uh, Beyond Spider-Man role, uh, you know, because of the timing of, of, of books being what they are. But, uh, you know, I, I, I was felt, you know, just kind of like, eh. You know, it was okay, but I definitely am uh, interested in seeing how things progress forward, especially with the direction that they want to take uh, Daredevil and Elektra going forward, uh, and and how that's going to play with some of the other recent announcements that Marvel has made with other uh, street-level characters. Next up... Nope. I think I heard about one, one in particular, so I'm kind of curious about how that comes into into play gotcha gotcha next up is marauders number one i'm surprised that roddy cat did not read this yeah i didn't get around to it but i plan to right so i'm not going to spoil it uh it's written by steve orlando with art by eleonora eleonora carlini colors by matt miller and letters by vc's ariana maher so this is a brand new number one, and I don't think I'm going to keep up with this book. I'm not going to put it on my physical pull list. Ah, Carlini's art doesn't do much for me. Uh, the story is interesting, though. Definitely has an interesting premise that launches the Marauders into space. And since they are X-Men and they're launching into space, they are going to be dealing with some rather familiar um, uh characters that are connected to the X-Men from space. You know, this is not the first time we've seen the Marauders in space. You know, uh, if you recall, there was an issue in the most recent volume of Marauders, uh, the prior volume of Marauders that had them on a a very uh, classic-looking flying saucer. So I guess that was kind of the precursor to this, uh, you know, to kind of redirecting the Marauders into space since the actual physical yacht that they were using as the original Marauder was uh, destroyed, I want to say, in the pages of... um, It wasn't in the pages of Marauders. It was destroyed in the pages of another book. I believe so, but I ended up getting another one, so... Is that what ended up happening? Another boat? If I... Yeah. Mm, well, they they have another one, but now, but but it's now uh, a, a spaceship, right? So, but uh, but you know, in, in any event, uh, 
uh, what we have here is the start of a new adventure in space with a new crew of marauders. And one of the members of this uh, new crew is someone you do not expect. And they spend a, a big chunk of this issue explaining why this character is there. Okay. Next up is... All right, so did you talk about Strange Number 2? Yes. Okay. So you did Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Strange... X-Force Number 27 is written by Benjamin Percy with art by Robert Gill, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by our favorite lettering Python, VC's Joe Caramagna. I don't even have to introduce him anymore. I just have to say... I don't have to say his whole name. I just have to say our favorite lettering Python, and you know who I'm referring to. So this issue picks up, I, I like this issue for several reasons. One, it picks up essentially where we leave off, pre-10 lives and 10 deaths of Wolverine. But it also picks up in the aftermath of 10 lives and 10 deaths of Wolverine, dealing with the ramifications and the fallout from that storyline, as well as what had been happening in the X-Force book prior to that, uh, of that mini-event. So this is a very effective, and it's obviously written by Benjamin Percy, so he has a very good grasp on the story, right? It is a very effective way of continuing the plots that have been either left dangling as a result of 10 lives and 10 deaths and, you know, carrying forward the events of 10 lives and 10 deaths into the book, into the pages of X-Force proper. And just, you know, maintaining that balance is, I, you know, it, uh, I think Percy does a very good job at maintaining that balance in this book. So it proves to be a very effective read. It will probably leave people a little in the dark if you haven't been keeping up with all of that. But if you have, it pays off. And, you know, it moves the story forward. Last but not least is X-Men Red number one. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by VCs Ariana Maher. So you can tell that this is an X-Book that has a little bit of push behind it because they assigned the art as... You know, they assigned uh, the artist Stefano Caselli to it. That's not a small thing. You can sometimes tell... Which books are going to get a little bit of a push based on the artist that has been assigned to the book, right? Al Ewing, you know, he's been mostly hit every once in a while. It's a little bit of like a, a foul tip, maybe not a miss, right? I'm obviously going to bring baseball vernacular into my um, into my commentary here. You know, it is opening day. After all, the Metsies are up right now. So... Uh, you know, you can tell that this book is going to get a little bit of a push. It is centered on the events of, uh, you know, the, the I guess the political machinations on Araco. You know, the other half of Krakoa, as it were. You know, the the uh, the, the planet that the X Men uh, either birthed or resurrected or colonized. Uh, you know, basically, you know, through the colonization of Mars. And, you know, all of the things that come up about as uh, Storm has, you know, been appointed regent of Araco and all of the, the power plays that are going on there. And there is an effort here to uh, create a, a group of heroes, as it were, for Araco, but it doesn't play out the way you think it will. 
Uh, also, there are uh, some some storylines, some character reveals that play out in other books that you see here. Not you know, like you have to know about that particular character reveal or that characterization reveal, that story reveal beforehand to understand that there are uh, machinations, under machinations, behind smoke screens. And some characters sense that there's something amiss, and that is refreshing, and it makes you remember that um, if you, you know, since since we do read a lot of comics here on the Comic Book Chronicles, it makes you remember what happened and what they're referring to. But if you're unfamiliar with it, it'll make you go search for that information. So yeah, that is some effective storytelling by Al Ewing. Uh, but all in all, it was an interesting book. I probably will keep up reading it. I don't know if I'm going to pull it just yet, but it's it's going to be interesting. I don't particularly care about Araco. I'll be honest. I don't really care about the the Araco mutants. You know, they're, they're, they're not all that appealing to me. You know, coming out of Ten of, uh, uh, um, uh, Ten of Swords. You know, they've just been sort of there as like kind of like the extension of the whole Krakoan story. But all in all, it gives the X-Men a different group of characters to play off of. So I understand why they're being kept around and, you know, they're obviously going to be the central part of this X-Men Red story. So, um, you know, it's it's okay. It's not, you know, it, it if you're into the whole Krakoan storyline you know, and the extension of it here on Mars, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Araco, then, you know, have at it. This might be the book for you. Uh-huh. And that's it for me. Does any of it play off of, uh, well, I guess two questions. Does any of it play off that um, immortal story from last week? Well, they're all interconnected, especially like the, the, the main books. And I would call Immortal one of the main books now because X-Men is like, would be like the flagship Right, Immortal would be like the secondary book. This may well prove to be like the the third book in that kind of group because they've already relaunched Marauders. Right, X Force is kind of on that same level with X Men Red. You know, where it, it's they're kind of like secondary slash tertiary to the main story, but they they're they're important enough that you should keep up with them. Hmm. You know, so I, that's what I would say. I would say Immortal is probably a little bit more important than Red, but probably just as important as X Force. X, I may be selling X Force short. I think X Force is probably just as important as Immortal. Mm-hmm. I got you. Okay. You know, it's a different way of it's a different way of looking at the X books as a group. You know, like think about um, the 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 X Men. Um, oh, what did they call it? Was it like the New Genesis? Well, Mutant Genesis, Mutant Genesis, like the 90s, right? With uh, with Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, right? And Wallace Protasio. Well, I mean, that was like kind of the golden age of like my high school X-Men reading, right? Right. And um, if you think about it, like the flagship X-Men book was probably no longer uncanny, even though that was the longest running book. Right, because Uncanny had Lobdell on script with Wiles Portacio on art, whereas Claremont, at least for the first three issues, um, had uh, Claremont and Jim Lee on it. Right, so just for those first three issues, um, X Uncanny was no longer the flagship. 
I think X Men was, right? And then you had new, then you had uh, X Force being like the new mutant style book, you know, because they're off on their own with Cable, you know, doing their own thing. And X Factor was the government mutant group because uh, you know, like uh, under Valerie Cooper with uh, Havoc and Polaris and Strong Guy, etc., and Multiple Man, right? Okay. So those were like the like the kind of like the core four X books, right? And they each had like a role to play. Where you know, so if you think about it here, like the core X Men books, each have their own role to play in their own area of the current Krakoan infrastructure to study and to describe and to tell stories about. Gotcha. Okay. I was going to ask about the the uh, X Force annual, but I don't since you read it, neither. Uh, I I I skimmed it, skimmed it. Like I I don't remember anything about it. I literally just kind of flipped through it. Gotcha. Clicks of the week. Clicks of the week are incoming. I didn't get anything from from our other hosts, so it's just us. Yeah, I mean, I have, you know, I had a decent couple of reads this week. Nothing that really jumped out to me. Um, I will tell you that my candidates are Black Widow number 15 because it was a surprising... Did we talk about that? It's the end of this run? Yeah, we did. Okay. So it's the surprising end of this run. You know, I was definitely surprised to see that it was over with this issue because I was enjoying this book a lot and I'm, I'm sad to see it, you know, no longer be around. I, I hope that Kelly Thompson brings back Black Widow the same way that, uh, uh, you know, creators are able to bring back uh, Carol Danvers over several runs over the last several years. Mm-hmm. So that's my hope because, you know, I really enjoyed her take on Black Widow. Um, it's between that. I actually liked Moon Knight number 10 because I liked that McKay was moving the story forward right? and tied things together, you know, kind of, you know, explaining to us what the heck is going on with this, uh, with this character and, and, and why, you know, this character is acting the way they're acting. And finally, I really, and you probably heard, you know, you can definitely, uh, figure from kind of like my effusive praise of X-Force number 27. I really liked how Ben Percy, uh, kind of picked up a lot of the the pieces from the Ten Lives and Ten Deaths of Wolverine and the previous stories in X Force and brought them all forward into this issue and really set the stage for what comes next. So I, I'm, those are my top three books this week, and I'm kind of stuck deciding between them. What do you have? Uh, I mean, the ones I have between me are Fantastic Four number forty two because like that that was a whole lot. <laughs> um like that's yeah it was that was just a an interestingly laid out book um for for what happened in it uh, right which is you know which is why which is why i handed it off to you i'm just like you know what roddy cat's going to talk about this because it takes a lot of time to like uh you know it, it takes a lot of time in the book as it kind of spans several pages it's a one panel per page describing right. what's happening right um also Magic Number Thirteen was, was pretty fun, which that's that's been a consistently fun book. You know, Jed McKay, you know, he, he writes some fun books, what can I say? Uh and probably She Hulk number three would probably be my third. Um 
even though there was no like real action in it, but it was like it was a it was a nice little you know, like it caught some folks up to speed on 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 certain things. Plus, that pizza part, you know, me being a, I love pizza, so you know, always gonna be like thumbs up for pizza. Yeah, for good pizza banter, um, which is a weird reason to like a book. But hey, I'm strange like that. Strange also was alright, but you know that was <laughs> um, that was what it was. Wait, don't know. I gotta put it in here. Oh shoot. Um, crap. Um, so I'm guessing I I think I might just go ahead and give it to um. I was about to say, if, you're, if you need time to decide, I think I'm going to get off the pot, as it were. Okay. Sure. I'm going to go with Black Widow number 15, but X-Force number 27 was really strong to me. I just enjoyed Black Widow number 15 because even though it was a disappointing end, I, I just enjoyed the, the, the journey. And I liked how, uh, you know, I, I like where uh, the group of characters kind of end up in that book. Black Widow number 15. Yeah, part of it, like I said, it was kind of a bummer by the way they just magically fixed that one thing that happened. Um, but you kind of expected something like that was going to be the case because that's kind of how things turn out. Like, you know, I kind of expected that to go the way they were hinting mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning of that issue. So that's why it was kind of a slight bummer the way that they didn't. But, um,. You said, like, what, oh, number 15. I mean, I'll, but also, th- that being said, I also hate seeing that book go because yeah. it was it was a pretty good book. Yeah, like, that's kind of why that, that's kind of why I picked it too. I was like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like the swan song. I'm like, let me pick that, you know, because X Force number 27 was pretty strong, right? Um, so yeah, I guess I'll go with, um, um, I don't actually, Fantastic Four number 42 in Magic, but so I'll go with Fantastic Four number 42 actually. That works. Yeah. So yeah, that like that, that that I mean it wasn't like balls out of amazing, but it was pretty it was it was interesting the way they set stuff off the way they did, how they did. Um with what we thought, you know, with what we knew was gonna happen or we thought we knew it was gonna happen and not. So all right, folks, that being said, and like I said, we didn't get anything from our other co-hosts, so that's it. We're going to go into the news section, but first, an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Funko, Fun at First Sight. It's your home for exclusive collectibles, such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel including t-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise such as their custom DIY pop figures, art books, and skateboards. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off you know, Funkos are not cheap. You can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko. To place your first order with 10% off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Funko link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code SHOP10 for your 10% off discount. That's SHOP10. Funko through CSPN.us. Do it today. Now we get into the news. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Funkos aren't expensive, that expensive either. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, some of them can be, especially the larger size ones or the... Um, 
yeah. the limited edition ones. You know, like sure. the, the the standard regular Funko Pops, you know, they're not that expensive, but especially if they're part of a set. Like, say you're trying to put together the A-Team, you know, like I had to buy four at once. Say you're trying to put together the Funko Pop group of uh, TLC, you know, you know, uh, you know, rest in peace left eye, right? Yeah, that's so three. Just, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's three right there that you have to uh, get. You know, I definitely have on my list uh, putting the Run DMC together. You know, shout out, uh, rest in peace to Jam Master J. Oh wait, do I have that one? I think I have everything. I think I have all of them, but Jays. Or actually, I might have Jays. I think I do have a lot, all, all of them. And speaking of eighteen ones, but you know what? We're getting off something. <laughs> You just, me, you just reminded me of the eighteen van that they they that funk off. They had. did, and I you know, and I and I almost bought it. I almost bought it. I I was I was so close. I got all of the characters in the A team, and I almost bought the van. I was like, do I really need this? That was one of those times. I was like, do I really need this? Mm-hmm. And one of the comic shops was closing here, and I was like, damn it! If they still had that joke, I could have got it for for less than what it was. Uh, right. If I had- I had caught it in time, but anyway. So, cinematic news, folks. We <laughs> as we, as we, as we kind of, um, uh, uh, what, what we call it? There's a commercial, isn't there? A commercial out um, that uh, that Ewan McGregor is in. He's like, you know, it's like a travel commercial. Yes. And he's yes. talking about we don't talk about we don't talk about the regrets of not buying things. We talk yeah. about the regrets about not going places. I'm like wrong. <laughs> exactly. You're not talking to the collectors, are you? You know. <laughs> <Indeed. laughs> Go ahead. Uh, but news uh, as we start off with every week. Uh, the Umbrella Academy renames Elliot Page's character in season three. So, um, yeah, uh, Elliot Page's character is going to get a new name, uh, which is Meet. Well, excuse me. Um, Victor Hargreaves is the new name for the character. Uh, no further details were given about the name change, but um, according to this article, it opens up uh, exciting possibilities for the third season, which I've never seen any bit of uh, on Brother Academy. You should. You should. It's not bad. I'm not familiar with the comics at all, and I actually appreciate that. You know, like, uh, I'm just, like, going into the show, like, you know what? Entertain me. And it's been pretty good. Okay. Cool, cool. Next up. Good Lord, Spider-Man spinoff, Madam Web. We can't stop Sony, no matter what they do. Launches its social media sites. This article is written by our very own at TimDog98. Madam Web, the next Marvel hero from Sony Pictures of Spider-Man, universe of characters, Lord, has joined the list of verified accounts on social media. Sony has not only found success with Spider-Man, but also with the heroes. Come on, you're overstating things here, Tim. That's a little bit of hyperbole. Seriously. But this is also set... This article is written before the travesty that is Morbius actually hit theaters. Mm. So... I'm sure, you know, you got to make it pop, so... Right, right. But in any event, the the Madam Web official Twitter and Instagram accounts have hit the insta... in in the uh, the interwebs, as as it were. Right. Like, I'm not, yeah, like, I, I agree on the hyperbole, but, the, like, a lot of these articles do that. Like, really, it's a little much. Calm down. <laughs> you know, and it's a shame because, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm not that familiar with Dakota Johnson's acting. And Jared Leto is Jared Leto. You know, he's definitely hit or miss for me. But it's a shame that they're getting some of these 
you know, name actors and they're just going to waste in the Sony Sony Spider-Man universe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the MCU could always bring them back as a different character, you know, like Chris Evans and like really hit it out of the park, but you know, it's just a shame. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. But speaking of uh, more Madam Web news, uh, Euphoria star breaks silence on mysterious Madam Web role. So Euphoria's uh, Sydney Sweeney uh, opened up about her preparation for her mystery uh, Madam Web role. Uh, quote unquote, I've been ordering a bunch of comic books. Sweeney said in an interview with Variety, uh, there's a lot to learn. It's Madam Web, if we're not that. Totally not good, I'm sure. Okay. Um, there's a lot to learn, but I've been a, I've always been a really big fan of uh, all of the Marvel, Marvel and Sony Universe movies. Uh, I've grown up watching them, and I've, I've been engulfed in the entire world my entire life. She's not that old, so. And <laughs> that much. Um, so being a part. To be yeah, a part. I was about to say, was she of age when when Doc when when Iron Man one came out? I don't think so. Like of age to like actually understand it. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I think three twenties, if that. So, yeah, go figure. But um, so yeah, but she says um, uh, so being a, being able to be a part of this is so is such an incredible, incredible thing, basically. Um, and that's pretty much that. I'm kind of curious about like this is for like an unnecessary new uh, movie, but I'm kind of wondering if they're going to the more recent version of Madam Web than the more classic version with Julia Carpenter. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Like, I feel like that might be where they're going with that, especially with a couple of the names. So maybe. Anyway. Next up, Black Panther VFX artist admits the final battle in the Black Panther movie fell short. Ouch. So he says that the effects used for the film's final battle suffered due to Marvel's severe time constraints. Not money, but time. So in an interview with Inverse, uh, VFX artist Todd Sheridan Perry explained that VFX vendors often do not have enough time to complete the work assigned to them, causing VFX shots and effects to look janky and unrealistic. It falls squarely on the shoulders of studios that set a release date and then work backward from there. He said, the time just isn't enough to live up to the ambition of the project. Huh. We understand. Moving yeah. on. And it, and it did kind of show, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, especially with the rhinos. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. And like, why is this coming out? Well, I mean, the, the second one's coming out. So I guess that's another reason why this is probably also coming out. But, hey, you know what? Good on them. For being like, yeah, you know what? It's, it, it is what it was. Yeah, take so. responsibility. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Doctor Strange 2 breaks uh, Fandango's first day ticket sales records in 2022. So yeah, uh, this past Wednesday, as of this recording, uh, the tickets for Doctor Strange and the multiverse, in the Multiverse of Madness have gone on sale. And I do know a couple of people, including our own uh, Agent 70, who have uh, gotten tickets. Yes, yes, it is early to talk about it. It is a little bit less than a month away now, but we are going to be in movie protocol in like three weeks uh, when um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness drops because I will definitely be in that theater opening night. I likely will not because I am still on COVID protocol. So, (laughs) Hey, listen. We may all be on COVID protocol at that point. You know, we've gone maskless in theaters now. It's not required anymore here in New York City. But with cases ticking up, we don't know. You know, everything is fluid. The entire situation is fluid, folks. Take care of yourselves. You know, we try to take care of 
others and, you, you know, uh, while taking care of ourselves, you know, that is the hope. But, you know, uh, I probably will be showing up with a mask on in the theater just to stay safe. Now, and, and things could change, because regardless, one way or another, we are still going on movie protocol. Cause, or, or I might do end up doing a, a show by myself. We'll see how that works out uh, if we don't go on full protocol. Right. Uh, but basically, um, so back to the article, during the first 24 hours, the sequel sold more tickets than any other film this year. And the Fandango website saw a huge number of fans reserve their seats. Uh, it says Showtime sold out fast. I kind of want to go look now. Cause I know yeah. Gone, but, yeah, because uh, this is definitely you know what's funny about this is that it's definitely um people are looking to avoid spoilers. Yeah. You know, yeah. they want they absolutely want to get in there that first weekend and just avoid spoilers as best as they can. You know, it's funny how you know where we've come, how far we've come. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, it says here that going after listing off a couple of other movies that have uh of uh, uh, premiered this year, including the Batman um, and the original uh, worldwide uh, sales for Dr. Richard, the first Dr. Strange movie. It says here that um, uh, basically it just goes on to say that, hey, Fandango and and, uh, and sales did pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says here since uh, it was the best pre-sale day excuse me, for Fandango since Spider-Man No Way Home, which is saying like that that well, it was it saying something? Because yeah, that movie also sold a bunch of tickets uh, pre-sale. So there you go, folks. Uh, May sixth—that's when um, uh, Doctor Strange Two is coming out, and Movie Protocol. We will remind you thusly closer. Next. All right. So for fans of the Daredevil Netflix show, which is now on Disney Plus, and they're doing their best to eradicate any evidence that it was ever affiliated with Netflix on the shows. That's that's the information I have. That's a strike. Come on up. Anyway, uh, Marvel has confirmed that Daredevil is actually MCU canon. So uh, interestingly, in an update to this article, Marvel has removed the paragraph about Matt Murdock's appearance in Spider-Man No Way Home from his live-action biography detailing his television history, but the original story is found in full on this webpage that Roddy Cat is showing you. But yeah, essentially it's uh, canon. I think they're looking to you know, continue to kind of revamp the websites and the way these things are all connected. This is a probably this is probably going to be a fluid situation moving forward as people try to figure out how best to write this and to describe it online as succinctly and as clearly as possible. Whether or not that's possible, I don't know. Yeah. Who's to say? Um but regardless canon uh, and I would like to believe that some of the other characters are soon to follow. Speaking of, though, Disney Plus removes Stanley tribute from The Punisher, apparently. Um, so it says here that at the time of the... Uh, basically, there was a dedication to Stanley the, at the end of the season two finale of The Punisher that has since been removed from it on Disney Plus, uh, according to comicbook.com. Uh, and it says here the service has made a similar cuts to Luke Cage, um, getting rid of a memorial to Reggie Cathy, who played Luke Cage's father, um, and uh, sounds like some other cuts they've they've. Uh, oh wait, 
Despite making these changes, the platform apparently left the dedication to Lee shown at the end of Jessica Jones season three intact, which, again, I forgot that I didn't know there wasn't even a Jessica Jones season three. I don't think I watched it. Yeah, I I still haven't watched two, and I knew that was a thing. Um, Disney and Marvel Studios have yet to offer a formal explanation regarding the decision to omit the tributes to Lee and Kathy from Punisher and Luke Cage, respectively. So, go figure. Next up. Next up, The Mandalorians. Carl Weathers has confirmed that Season 3 has wrapped filming. So, um... Writing on Twitter, uh, the Grief Karga actor retweeted a post with an image of an embroidery hoop depicting the Din Djarin's uh, iconic helmet mashed up with the number three. And he says, and what a season of wonderfulness, he writes. Okay. That's cool. Partly because he's, uh, I'm sure, because he's uh, not only acting, but uh, directed an, an episode or two, I'm sure. <laughs> Listen, Carl Weathers is still, you know, he's still cashing them checks. Good for him. No doubt. Hey, no good on him. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> good for yeah. him. Um, so it's we still don't know when it's coming, but we they, since they they're finished wrapping, we should have a date at some time in the next few months. I would imagine, probably after whatever happens with that Andor thing. Definitely after uh, Obi Wan, for certain. Anywho, on the other side of the star. Uh-huh. Uh, Chris Pine says Star Trek should compete with uh, Marvel's billion-dollar movies, quote-unquote. So um says here that um, he suggested that Star Trek should place focus on something different outside of getting making billion-dollar uh, franchises. He says, um, we always try to get the huge international market, Pine told Deadline. It was always about making the million, billion dollars. Um, it was always this billion dollar mark because Marvel was making a billion, 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 billion. We struggled with it because Star Trek, for whatever reason, its core, core audience is rabbit. Like, rabbit, as you know. Um, to get these people that are interested, uh, that maybe are Star Wars fans or think Trek is not cool or whatever proven, we've definitely done a good job of it, but not the billion dollar kind of job that they want. And he basically said that, the, uh, he goes on to say that, hey, this is not Star Trek is not Marvel, and it shouldn't be. Appeal to the fans, and 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 if uh, and if other folks come uh, along for the ride, then so be it. Which, you know what? I agree with them. Stop trying to make Star Trek what it's not. You know, there, there are way too many people are trying it, and Star Trek is great on its own. Personally speaking. Next up. I mean, I'm just not that big a Star Trek fan. You know, like it's just you know it it was definitely part of my uh, fandom growing up, but just not that big, and I was not that big a, a, a TOS fan, right? You know, definitely a Next Generation guy and a Deep Space Nine guy. So, but sure. um, you know, it's I, I was never, you know, I was never that uh, let's say enticed to go to the movie theater by Star Trek. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I I certainly have for a couple of them, especially the older ones. Maybe not the Kelvin timeline ones, but definitely you know. Yeah. I mean, what I liked about the what I liked about the first Kelvin one is that it was an effective movie for a lot of people. Like it was so broad, like the appeal to it was so broad. And obviously, the ones that came after, you know, had had their own problems. But I liked the first one more than the other two. Right. They were basically kind of sort of rehashing 
Yeah, previous well, I mean, yeah, previous right. movies and stories. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So um so there was that even with that second one when they were like, No, it's not it's not this thing. It's totally not Oh, of course it was. Exactly. So but regardless. All um, right, next up. I like how Pine's thinking on this one. I was something else I was gonna say about that, but I don't remember what it was. So that's all right. Next up. So next up, three character promo spots for Star Trek Strange New Worlds focus on uh, Uhura, La'an, and Ortegas. So uh, these are different characters in the Strange New World series. The first trailer focuses on Cadet Nyota Uhura, played by Celia Rose Gooding. The second spotlights Lieutenant La'an Nunyan Singh, played by Christina Chong. And the third features Lieutenant Erica Ortegas, played by Melissa Navia. Okay. These are just a few of the characters that will join Captain Pike, played by Anson Mount, Spock, played by Ethan Peck, and number one, played by Rebecca Romaine, not no longer Stamos, as they embark on the adventures of the USS Enterprise. Okay. Yeah, this is this is a weird one for me, but also I did not know about the Noonien Singh um, 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 thing, but that's also a thing that's in Star Trek card that's coming out. Not Noonien Singh, but another version of that family. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that family so this is that's interesting because well they got to bring the con of it all in you know right and that's why which is what i was saying when i was talking about i didn't talk about uh picard this week but um like yeah they're putting a lot into structure picard um including that stuff but um yeah this is basically pre-tos or i guess tos going into tos or something which is kind of weird in itself but that's a whole nother conversation for not right now. Um, speaking of Star-, Star Trek Picard, though, season three has been announced and it brings back the cast or a lot of the cast from TNG uh, in a teaser trailer. So we got um, LeVar Burton, Michael Dorn, Jonathan Frakes, who's already had shown up in Star Trek Picard anyway. Gates uh, McFadden, well, before and in and front of and behind the scenes. Uh, Marina Searches and Brent Spiner. Also, is still in Boots uh, Trek Picard, so that's um, something. But yeah, they're all coming back on into the third season. There was a teaser uh, trailer announcement on First Contact Day, uh, which was uh, April fifth. Um, and yeah, uh, and, and there's also a reference to the First Contact movie, of which they were all in. So, kind of curious. Um, so yeah, you have not seen that teaser trailer, which I have not, but, um, you can go check it out at your leisure next. That's interesting that that was announced in a teaser video. I had just seen the, in the news. I did not know that's how they announced it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So in news that, uh, you know, probably makes some people giggle with glee, the WB mm-hmm. quote pauses unquote, Flash star Ezra Miller's DCEU future due to his recent behavior. They could have paused it after they cast him, but you know what? What are you going to do? So the executives at Warner Brothers are apparently scrambling in the wake of Ezra Miller's arrest as they attempt to decide the Flash star's star's future. Uh, He's also uh, part of the... uh, Upcoming Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which is also a WB production. And, uh, you know, basically he may not have a future in the DCEU or 
The Wizarding World, as Warner Brothers executives meet over the actor's repeated violent behavior. Rolling Stone is reporting that WB execs held an emergency meeting on March 30th to discuss the recent arrest of Miller and their repeated problematic actions. According to the outlet sources, the consensus in the room was to hit pause on any future projects involving Miller, including possible appearances in the DC Cinematic Universe. The last-minute meeting followed a pair of incidents while the actor was in Hawaii that we talked about last week. Um, you know what? You reap what you sow. Yeah, but probably won't. I have a strange feeling. Should, but probably won't. Uh, I know there has been other articles saying that uh, Grant Gustin, who plays the cheap version of Flash, should be the one to replace. Uh, who actually, some people have been saying that all along, but right. should replace him as the Flash in this. Right. The uh, problem, I think, the only problem with that is, I think a lot of longtime comic readers don't see him as Barry Allen either. Um, comic readers, you know, not TV show watchers. Sure. You know, because he doesn't strike the most heroic. Look, he's all right. I mean, as opposed to Ezra Merlo, who right? Who, that's that. I mean, you know, they're both. You know, I hate to say this, and uh, and the commentary I read was that they both kind of strike a better Peter Parker than uh, Barry Allen. Ooh, no, <laughs> no, no, just physically. No, no, I get that, but ooh. oh, charge the mound! What the hell? All right, moving right along. Um. <laughs> a new orphan black series is in the work at AMC. Um, per Hollywood Reporter, AMC Networks has stabbed Fear of the Walking Dead supervisor, uh, pro- supervising producer Anna Fishko to write and showrun Orphan Black Echoes, a new series set in the, fut- the near future excuse me, of the original. Uh, the new show, which is said to be executive produced and directed by John uh, Fawcett, will follow the lives of a new group of women who uh, gradually begin to realize how deeply interconnected their origins are, despite the fact that none of them know each other. Um, given how the original Orphan Black came to a close, it's unclear whether Echoes... Oh, hit him in the shoulder. Aslani returned. Huh? I'm sorry. Just, you know, I'm still watching baseball. Move oh, along. Uh, uh, it's unclear whether Echoes will see Maslani, uh, Tatiana Maslani return to reprise any of her core clone club roles, or... Uh, one of the dozen other letter clones that are still living out in the world by the series finale. Spoiler, I guess. But regardless, Orphan Black Echoes doesn't have a firm release date, uh, but AMC expects the series to premiere sometime in 2023. I've heard great things about uh, Orphan Black, and I'm going to watch a couple of episodes, um, but uh, I've been meaning to rectify that. So, cool. Next up. Alrighty, next up, uh, get in the gate, whatever the heck that uh, means. I believe you're you're muted. Oh, see, I muted myself, you know, to to spare all you guys my uh, my baseball commentary. So, you know, Roddy Cat's just like sports ball. I'm like, oh come on, man, we can be, you know, we can have uh, diverse interests here on the Comic Book Chronicles. Um, not, not not the point, but while we're while we're viewing the show, well, of course, while we're viewing the show, we are absolutely multitasking. So, uh, get in the gate. Pluto TV launches twenty four seven streaming channel that is all good lord is all Stargate all the time. From the Roland Emmerich film to the long running television spinoffs, this channel has it all. Goodness gracious. Pluto TV has decided to fire up the Stargate, walk through the ensuing portal, and never look back. As of Friday, April 1st, the online television service is offering an entire channel 
devoted to the sci-fi franchise Stargate. From the 1994 Roland Emmerich film to the three, and again, hyperbole, beloved spin-off TV series. All of it streaming for 24 hours, seven days a week. Okay. Stargate Atlantis was all right. Never watched the second of any of these shows. Sorry, folks. I so I can attest to this, and I know the the date of this article might sound kind of fishy, but no, it is actually true because I have been watching this particular channel. The I've watched Star Trek the movie a couple of times, Star Trek Gate the movie a couple of times, even though I've seen it multiple times in passing, and a bunch of episodes of SG One and um, actually a couple of episodes of Universe. I hadn't seen much uh, Atlantis, but definitely I did also. So yeah, that that thing is out there if you like Stargate. Um, uh, which I do. The SG One was a good series. Uh, now we go over into the anime corner. Uh oh, it's the anime corner. It's the anime corner. Which. Like uh, Agent Seventy should take this one. Absolutely, absolutely. So, <laughs> shout out to everyone that watched the final episode that was supposed to be quote unquote final this past Sunday, right? So after the broadcast of the final episode of Attack on Titan final season part two on Japanese TV, the official Twitter account for the franchise announced that the TV anime will continue with Attack on Titan final season part three, which they title Attack on Titan, the final season final arc. Goodness gracious. That's funny. A teaser trailer and visual was released for the continuing conclusion to the adaptation of Hajime Isayama's manga. So, yeah, the way they ended it was wild because it was to be continued. And if, there, if there's something that I am quickly learning about anime adaptations of, ma- of manga is that they definitely take a lot of time to produce. And they can that that and fans can go more than a year, more than two years, more than three years between seasons because they're simply waiting on various factors to coalesce so that their favorite anime will uh, receive that next installment to you know continue or finish the story. You know, I'm, I'm speaking specifically in my case to uh, Haikyuu, which, you know, I caught up with over the course of the pandemic. And now I'm eagerly waiting the next season. And uh, people have been waiting for that season for a long, long time. And they still haven't announced it. And, they, and, and they're supposed to announce it like during like the 10th anniversary year, uh, which is this year. And they still haven't talked about it. But, you know, it's it's April. But it feels like it's been a long time since that initial announcement. I believe it was this past fall. So, spring season, spring anime season's coming. I suspect um, in the next month or two, we'll probably hear something about the winter, the, the winter fall season, and maybe hearing a little bit more news about that. Right, um, and, and no, I was about to say that the Attack on Titan stuff. Did they talk about the, when it's supposed to come out? Oh no, twenty twenty three. Yeah. 2023 which, so we're 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 definitely going into next year yeah which attack on titan's been doing for the last couple of years i mean as agent uh 70 said yeah like there have been factors because of this because this is not a normal thing to happen in anime to where stuff gets broken apart in fact that's a more recent thing especially with covid stuff whether that's a factor of it more sort of a factor of it or you know Maybe other factors probably has more to do with COVID than than not. But at right. the same time, 
Attack of Titan is a big joint, so they can they can milk this a little bit more. Yeah. Than, or they know people are, are raring to watch. Uh, right. And what's funny is that... Oh, go ahead. Finish up. No. I was just going to say, what's funny is that a lot of people were speculating that it was going to be a movie announcement. And oh. I think part of I think part of the disappointment was that we were going to be, you know, strung along even more now, you know, with episode after episode, okay. as opposed to kind of going in and watching a finale movie. Right. So, but uh, yeah, in any event... That, that, it, I did see a couple of people after after that episode um, ended. It was like, yeah, I knew they were going to do this, which I don't know if that's actually true, but it stands a reason to where it was probably more <laughs> more of a reason to believe that something like this would happen more, more than that. I feel like you even probably had an idea of it, of it uh, after what we talked about it what, last week or week or so. Right. I think that the, the, the majority of the people in my watch party were anticipating movie. Right. Even I was leaning towards movie. So I was a little surprised that they were talking about more episodes. Gotcha. Yeah. But I mean, there there won't be a movie though. Right, right. But at the uh, but at the same time there aren't there aren't very many issues of the manga left to adapt. So, you know, I think, you know, the 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 members of my watch party who uh, are up to date on the manga um say that, you know, there probably isn't that much left. You know, they'll they'll probably string it out to probably like twelve to twenty episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, somewhere in there. That would so. make sense. You know, that would, that would be a whole season ish, half a season at the very most. So. Exactly. You know, it's 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 reminiscent of what they did with Demon Slayer recently. So, so hopefully that doesn't become a practice. But you know, COVID still what it is. Mm-hmm. Are you up on Demon Slayer? Oh yeah, yeah, I've been finished that. All Maybe right. So, <clears throat> I'm just waiting for the next uh, next season. Um, we're going to transition over into the comic book news, but still kind of stay in, in the anime store corner. You want me to take this one? Yeah. All right. I, I thought you were going to do the um, sound. Oh, you mean oh the sound effect? Oh, I was about to say because I I because I had played the uh, the anime uh, corner, um, I got thrown off. So I will. Uh, Find a good transition. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll take this one. Uh, Berserk's final volume English release date uh, really, uh, announced. So Dark Horse announced through Crunchyroll that it will release volume 41 of Kentaro uh, Miura's genre-defining yes, uh, epic to comic book stores on November 9th, uh, with a rider release to bookstores on November 22nd. Uh, the final volume of the series will be released in a special trade paperback uh, format, which will include two-sided full-color inserts. Uh, the volume will have an MSRP of fourteen ninety-nine. So I know a lot of people who lo- like Berserk, uh, both the, uh, the manga and the anime. I have never watched it. I watched the uh, the new version by accident. I meant to watch the old version, like the old, like the previous volume. Right. You know, so I watched the second volume, you know, like not all the way through, but I was like, wait, I meant to watch the original, you know, the original story. So, uh, cause, because it's, uh, I think it's relatively long running. Uh, it's lengthy. It's not like One Piece or Bleach. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, relatively, you know, I think those are ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I think those, I think One Piece is ridiculous, but in, in, in any event, go ahead. 
I think it's more like um, for for folks to know, like Full Metal Alchemist, Alchemist like that's like fifty years. I'm like, it's, I know it's a lot, but it's not like lengthy, lengthy. So yeah. Did you, by chance, enjoy? Uh, Berserk. Yeah. It was weird, but you know, I'm 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 new to this, so I'm definitely ready to absorb. And 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 and, and taking different uh, different styles of anime, right? Gotcha. Well, and that's it for the anime corner. So now we'll go properly into the comic book um, um, uh, news. All right, with toy news. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, toy news. Oh, well, yeah, just a little bit. Richard E. Grant's classic Loki brings glorious purpose to Hot Toys. It's now available for pre-order. A new Hot Toy figure that captures the likeness of actor Richard E. Grant's classic Loki from the Disney Plus series Loki. So this is set to release in mid-2023. It's a sideshow collectible figure. I'm looking for the price, looking for the price, looking for the price. That's actually a decent likeness. I like that it's like a big grinning smile. It stands approximately 12.2 inches tall. Uh, has 30 points of articulation with with interchangeable faces and interchangeable hands. Uh, looking for the price, looking for the price, because the pre-order is live. I'm scrolling, folks. Fans can now pre-order Classic Loki for $285, with the figure expected to release between April and September 2023. Wait, and it looks like... Wait, is this... Yeah, I mean, Hot Toys is, is to be expected. Yeah, for it real. It looks like with uh, Alligator Loki and Loki and Frog Thor in a jar. It's a mall. Oh, yeah, that's right. You have, you have, you have uh, these accessories here. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty good. And a stand, so that yeah, that's pretty good. But again, as we said before, hot toys kind of expensive, but you get what you pay for. Um, because they're quite detailed, as you said. Uh, Restoration Games reveals unmatched uh, Marvel Redemption Row. So this is a board game, looks like uh, in fact a miniatures board game to be released into retail. Um, actually, looks like it's almost uh, going to be out in a couple of days. April 20th, uh, not a couple of days, a couple of weeks, I guess. Um, I thought I read that as the 10th. Uh, April 20th, 2022, it says here that Redemption Row features three of Marvel's most tormented heroes, Moon Knight, Ghost Rider, and Luke Cage. Um, well, Luke Cage is all that tormented, but okay, sure. I mean, uh, he has been in the past. Maybe not recently, though. I guess. But, um, but basically, it goes into... Um, um, looks like the battle map is set in, at the raft, and it comes with game pieces and all kind of stuff. And it's going to retail for fifty bucks, forty nine ninety five to be specific. If you're into miniature, miniature board games, next up, Marvel Select Moon Knight Disney exclusive figure pre orders are now live. So this is not exactly what you're expecting if you're looking for a Disney Plus version of Moon Knight. Rather. Um, it is uh, Marvel Select style Moon Knight, which is kind of comic book based and kind of not. It's definitely in the middle here, and it's a seven foot, t- a seven inch tall, sorry, seven inch tall uh, figure with sixteen points of articulation. Um, looking for a price, don't see one. Yeah, these the Marvel Select ones are not. Ex- oh, twenty nine ninety nine. There we go. Yeah, they're not as expensive as some of the other ones, but I guess that's that's necklace. Right, but they did announce that there are uh, upcoming Marvel Legends figures. Did we? Did you see those? 
no. For the Marvel, for, for, for based on the Marvel, uh, based on the Moon Knight Mar- uh, Disney Plus series, and there's going to be a Mr. Knight figure. Okay. As well as the Moon Knight in uh, the current in the in the in the the TV show costume, like the right. full Moon Knight uh, regalia. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, next up, though, speaking of Moon Knight, Marvel's Moon Knight of the Future debuts in Black, White, and Blood. First look. So, um, Moon Knight Black, White, and Blood is the next installment in Marvel's color-themed franchise, and the publisher has, uh, has some all-star creators lined up for its debut issue. Two of those names include acclaimed writer Jonathan Hickman uh, and iconic artist Chris Bacalo or Bacalo. I'm never, I still not figured out how to say. Yeah, that. I was about to say I don't think we've ever found out. Well, you know, at some point we'll talk to like a Marvel editor at a Comic Con and be like, "Hey, how's this pronounced?" Right, or or run up on him. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, the, so they're teaming up for the Moon Knight of the Future. Um, Comic-Con.com has an exclusive first look that is in this article. Um, and it also goes on to talk about um, the a couple of other stories that is going to be in the uh, in this series. So, and the, the issue, the first issue goes on sale May 18th. So that's going to be next month. Next. Next, uh, Beyond Amazing. Hopefully this is the last time we see the word Beyond associated with Spider-Man. The exhibition, 60 Years of Marvel's Iconic Superheroes to be Celebrated. An exclusive installation commemorating the friendly neighborhood web-slinger's 60th anniversary set is set to premiere in July at San Diego's Comic-Con Museum. Good. Yeah. So, if you're going to be out there, go for it. Um, Spider-Man's Forgotten Clone makes a mind-bending return, I guess, according to this article. Um, basically, Spider-Side, I do not know of this character. Uh, let's see. Uh, Spider-Side, which was another clone, showed up in, uh, Riley's... That's just me clapping because the Metsies just won another opening day game. Okay, uh, Ben Riley Spider-Man number three, which came out recently. Spoiler for that, I guess. No one, neither one of us are reading it, so we don't care. Um, but yeah, there's another Spider Clone that's coming out that uh, that's gonna that showed up in that book. Okay. Next, <laughs> mm, Marvel reveals Miles Morales' next major ally or enemy. <laughs> oh my god! Seriously. Seriously, is his baby sister. My goodness. Billy Morales. All right. So, yeah. So, this is probably part of the uh, the multiversal madness. His own version of multiversal madness. Um, he's going to come. Miles is going to come face to face with a character named the Spider Smasher. While the publisher has kept the identity and allegiances of the character hidden up until now, Marvel announced that the person behind the Spider Smasher costume is none other than Billy Morales. So, yeah. This is definitely part of that whole multiversal uh, adventure that Miles is on right now in the pages of his book. That gunky? In the Punisher costume? Um, for, for those watching the video version, uh, there's a um, there's a cover that, um, that I'm showing um, that weirdly looks kind of Stargate-ish, but also has to do with that uh, evil Miles Morales that we spoke of last week. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a a a take on the Punisher. Yeah, but also with magic to you know obviously play into uh, 
the Gonke version, the the Gonke clone in in, in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And and some um, some some art and some other some other covers for that stuff. So yeah, next up, uh, celebrate the women of Marvel with these free comic books. So through April 25th, you can read major Soraks featuring Ms. Marvel, She-Hulk, uh, America Chavez, and Jane Foster's Thor. Um, again, free on Marvel Unlimited. Um, and this article goes into what um, what books that you will be able to read, including uh, Thor 2014-1-5, which is the, the um, beginning of... Oh, thanks. The beginning of Jane Foster's run as uh, Thor, Miss um, Marvel one through five, and some other stuff. Next up, all righty, Daredevil. Oh, jeez, yeah. So I talked about this a little bit in uh, Devil's Reign number six. So I think we could probably skip this story. Yeah, but basically, yeah, somebody get filed to murder and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Blah. Or- uh, but you can take the next one. All right. Marvel is set to debut, goodness, Bloodline, Daughter of Blade on free comic book day. They called her Bloodline? Really? Yeah. Like after a bad DC crossover? Named sure. after a bad DC crossover? So, um, while... Well, let me finish the story, and then we can get into our commentary. So, Marvel has officially announced its plans for the latest Free Comic Book Day event, and uh, Marvel revealed that this year's Free Comic Book Day Avengers X-Men number one will introduce Bloodline, a new character who is the daughter of Marvel's Blade, the Vampire Hunter. Bloodline, also known as Brielle, will be introduced in a story from Danny Lore and Karen S. Darbo. The Free Comic Book Day Avengers X-Men number one special will be released through participating retailers on Saturday, May 7th. Uh, it's surprising on multiple levels because those familiar with the Day Walker's tenure in Marvel, especially for those familiar with Blade's tenure in Marvel. Back in 2015, the all-new, all-different Marvel initiative teased the debut of Blade's daughter, who would have debuted in a new Blade series from Tim Seeley and Logan Ferber. This version of the character would have been Fallon Gray, a popular 16-year-old from rural Oregon, who learns that she's Blade's daughter when supernatural trouble finds its way to her rural home. So that's an interesting... Uh, development for this character right and that was the part i was going to bring up because like the blaze daughter thing was not is not new and even though if you're watching the video the 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 uh date of this article may seem a little fishy it is not because this has come up in uh since and prior to this so so it i'm curious what uh, denoted the change that's that's why i was going to bring it up um but I don't know whether we'll find out or not. Anyway, famed X-Men writer Anne Nocenti uh, reunites with Longshot, mutant character. Uh, so this July, Marvel Comics writer and longtime X-Men editor Anne Nocenti uh, returns to the Mojoverse for X-Men Legends, wait, number three? That seems... Aren't they in, like, in the teens at this point? Anyway. Uh, written by Nocenti and illustrated by Javier Pena, uh, X-Men Legends, I feel like I might be 13, but uh, maybe I'm wrong, uh, kicks off a two-part story arc that serves as a direct follow-up to the 1985 limited series Longshot, in which Nocenti and author Adams uh, art to some of us, 
to some folks. Uh, introduce readers to Longshot, Mojo, and Spiral. Uh, you know, set in the Mojo verse. Um, and uh, it says here, according to Marvel, that um, the new story will shed new light on Longshot, filling in the gap between the fan favorite Heroes Mysterious Original Adventure and his tenure on the X Men. So, fans of Longshot, there you, there you go, I guess. Next. Next up. Hey, I have that 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 long shot limited series. I have it all signed by uh, Art Adams. Do you? Yes. Yeah. Nice. Actually, we don't. We can. Well, no, actually, we can talk about this. We did tease it. Go ahead. What the next story? Yeah, that Black Widow ends with issue number 15. Writer Kelly Thompson teases more story. I mean, this is good because I didn't know, know that she was teasing that there was more. So uh, it's come to an end, as we talked about earlier for now, at least. On Kelly Thompson's Substack page, she confirmed that issue number 15 not only marks the end of the Die by the Blade story arc, but also the end of the series as a whole. However, she also revealed that there are indeed plans for a bit more story from the book's creative team. Uh, let's see here what she says here. Uh, so she says, she does say that there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes and it's not always something you can talk about publicly. Uh, um, Thanks. she says, to be honest, she still can't talk about as much as she'd like, but what she can say is that there are plans for a bit more story from this creative team. And she continued, things are still being wrangled, but she's optimistic it will work out and be worth the wait okay probably an annual i would i would suspect but yeah or a one shot something like that or maybe like a tiny limited series you know it sucks because you know this is reminiscent of what happened with black cat right true you're right you're right and other books i mean the silk also had had a, had a similar thing happen to it Right, and it's uh, still happening because you know what they're what they're giving Silk are these kind of really short, you know, five issue uh, limited series. And the current series, while it's not billed as a limited, I think I think you said that it was billed as a limited series now. Yes, correct. Right, so yeah, so so even though it wasn't initially billed as a limited series, I think it's become one. And so you know we're getting these like five issue limited series, which is. It's cool that they're coming out in relatively rapid succession, but at the same time, it'd be nice that, you know, to just keep, you know, continuing forward with these series. Yeah. We're kind of getting that with Shang-Chi, too. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, because they're, they're about to uh, re- renumber him, too. Right. Even though they're not skipping a beat. Right. Which is the thing about these these things. You know, mm-hmm. They don't, they just renum- renumber keep going. Right. Um, but, uh... R.I.P. Gary Leach, um, 2000 AD artist collaborator with Alan Moore on Miracle Man. So, yeah, he was uh, Gary Leach was the artist for 2000 AD during that comics golden age and collaborated with Alan Moore for, on the revival of Marvel Man, later renamed Miracle Man. Uh, died on March 26th at the age of 67th. And the rest of the article goes into um, excuse me, his career. Um, so yeah, uh, there's that next DC's Batman beyond reboot introduces a new villain to Terry McGinnis's rogues gallery. So this is spinning out of Batman urban legends, Batman beyond Neo year, not only puts Terry McGinnis on his own path, but gives him a new villain to face. 
So this is written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, former guests of the show, with art from Max Dunbar. Batman Beyond Neo Year Number 1 picks up after the events of Batman Urban Legends Number 7. Okay. Uh, Terry McGinnis. uh, Wow, so there's some serious spoilers here that I'm not going to talk about. Yeah, it does kind of go into it. Um, But yeah, hey. There you go. Like I said last week, those uh, Terrence McGinnis fans re- rejoice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I like Terry McGinnis as a character. I, I Not enough, though, to pick up the comic. Right. So. Well, that's why I picked up the one from la- the, the one I talked about last week, which, granted, is, is still an Elseworlds joint. is because it's a set in, a, in that Elseworlds that I like. So, there is that. Um, DC's new Young Justice series continues the legacy of Phantoms. So, uh, Young Justice Targets is a new series from DC, from DC written by Young Justice Phantom showrunner Greg Weissman with art from Christopher Jones. Uh, the series, which launches in July, continues the story of Young Justice Phantoms, which is, as we know, on uh, HBO Max at this point. Uh, the plot for Young Justice Targets, well, it's going to go it's basically going through the plot of it, um, having to do with Queen Perdita being kidnapped and some other things going on. I am lost on that show, so I do not know. But regardless, Ju- July is when um, this book is going to happen. Next. Next up. Webtoon DC announced new titles starring Vixen, Red Hood, Zatanna, Constantine, and more. So this is uh, uh, online comic stuff. Webtoon and DC announce a new slate of digital comics featuring Red Hood, uh, Constantine, and more that will release on Webtoon in the upcoming months. Uh, so it's starting with Vixen. Uh, NYC on May, May 26th. So that is soon. Red Hood, Outlaws, and Zatanna. And the Ripper will follow later this summer. All comics will be available exclusively on Webtoon and feature iconic DC Universe characters as part of a previously announced creative partnership between the two companies. Okay. I have yeah. never looked into this Webtoon stuff. Have you? Yeah, actually. Um, I often on read um, God of High School on there and a couple other things. Um on there, so yeah, I have, but not uh, since this um, since this um, collaboration between DC and Webtoons. Okay, uh, so yeah, I might check some of this out. Uh, last but not least, uh, Star Trek Online teams with IDW for more dark adventures in the Mirror Universe. So, um, folks may or may not know, Star Trek uh, Online is the MMO uh, from Cryptic Studios, and I guess Gearbox is publishing that part. I did not know, but it's free to play, and you can yeah play as a Star Trek. Captain, I enjoyed that game. I did not know it going free to play, but I've been playing for free for a while. Anyway, um, uh, it says here that um, they are going to go into the realm of the Star Trek's mirror universe. Not surprised with the new partnership between uh, IDW Publishing and uh, the and Star Trek Online, so that. Um, um, uh, so I guess it's more material for both the game and I guess a book that's coming because they have been doing the, uh, I, I guess, excuse me, uh, stuff going into the game that is coming off of the books that, um, that's are now going on. Cause there's that whole mirror war thing that's going on and the whole mirror universe, uh, mini series that they've been going on for the last couple of years on, in the, on IDW. 
So I guess they're basically taking on some of that and then folding it into uh, Star Trek Online, according to this article, sounds like. Um, so, yeah. And it sounds like, actually, there is also going to be... It's like a crossover with uh, Star, uh, Star Trek Online and uh, the Mirror Universe uh, books of that IDW is putting out and maybe more um, and maybe another book or two. So that's kind of cool. I haven't played uh, Star Trek Online in, in a good minute, but I have been reading those uh, Mirror War books, which I think one came out this week or last week, one or two, but that I forgot to read. But um, yeah, cool. And that's it, folks. We have come to the end of this here show. Uh, we got one last ad read. Our last ad read of the night is for Wink, the personalized wine club. Wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door. From rosé to cabernet to toronté, Wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover. Have you ever tried an orange wine? Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your taste and delivered directly to your door. Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member, and you can skip or cancel anytime. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. To place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash wink. That's cspn.us forward slash w-i-n-c. Wink wines through CSPN. Do it today. And that's it, folks. We will see you all next week for another uh, episode of this here pop. Um, why did I say pop culture network? That's not right at all. Humble <laughs> uh, Chronicles. Uh, I have been Radicat. You can find me at Radicat on Twitter. You can find me at News News Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Uh, Agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, PC and underscore dirt on uh, Twitter, Pop Culture Network. That's his joint. Uh, Pop Culture Network <laughs> on Twitter, culturenetwork.com, and all the umbrella sites therein. Tim, D O G D 98 on Twitter. Uh, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Combo Chronicles Twitter account. Uh, v Click Nation on Twitter, and also uh, vclicknation.com. But more importantly, and often, comicbook.com, where he's over there writing his face off. Uh, which I should be saying writing his hands off because you don't write with your face. But you know what? We're going to let that roll. Um, you can find this here uh, podcast on the Coastal of the Podcast Network. That's cspn.us. Do it today. Uh, you can also find us in your podcast or place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. Uh, we stream every Thursday night. Uh, 9.30-ish p.m. Eastern Standard Time on um, the YouTube channel of The Click Nation, that youtube.com slash The Click Nation, and twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. Uh, feel free to subscribe to any of any of all those places. If you want to see us go live, you know, catch us, catch us then. We're, you know, we're there. Hopefully we'll be doing some other more streaming, streaming at some point. In fact, I got some stuff lined up. I keep saying that, but now I'm almost ready for it. Uh, with that, folks, like I said, we'll be back next week. Um, and uh, there's really nothing to say because I totally forgot to, to pull out the, the toy corner thing that I was going to do. But this has been the Combo Chronicles. Peace. Peace one.
Oh. I love it when a plan comes together. There it goes. Good evening, Rick. Would you believe it's, it's Dr. 